0: This December, give the gift of folk horror. Severn Films is proud to present all the Hauntsby Hours box set: twelve Blu-rays, three CDs, and a hundred. Twenty six page book, twenty feature films restored and remastered, including Eyes of Fire, Il Demonio, The Demon, uh, Allison's Birthday, Lake of the Dead, and the award winning new epic documentary by Kayla Janice, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. It includes hours of special features, short films, and Linda Hayden reading folk horror classic The White People, Unexpurgated. Uh, all the Hauntsby Hours box set available at www.severin films.com. Also coming this November, Nasty Habits, the Nunsploitation Collection, featuring four sacrilegious just classics on blu-ray for the first time christiana devil nun story of cloistered nun images in a convent and the true story of the nun of Monza. Also available for the first time ever with original English language track Barbara Steele and her final Italian gothic and Angel for Satan. Special edition Blu-ray. Visit www.severin-films.com for these and more of the finest exploitation on Blu-ray. And Los Angelinos be sure to join Severin at their pop-up film festival at the Cine Lounge, Hollywood on Saturday, November the 6th where all the Black Friday sale titles will be revealed. But we're going to tell you they are
1: Well played, Alric. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Vinegar Syndrome. October is almost over, but it's never too late to get your Halloween fix from our friends at Vinegar Syndrome. This month, they've prepared a devilish spread of whacked-out horror from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, including a box set celebrating the Italian films starring Camille Keaton, featuring the worldwide Blu-ray debuts of *Tragic Ceremony*, *Madeline*, *Anatomy of a Nightmare*, and *Sex of the Witch* along. along. Along with 80s Gallo double features of the slasher-esque "Nothing Underneath" and "Too Beautiful to Die," as well as the 90s creature feature "Ticks" on 4K UHD and Blu-ray, bless you all. Presented in extended cut and loaded with hours of newly produced extras, and for the more adventurous viewer, get ticks. For the more adventurous viewer, one of the craziest indie horror films of the late 1980s, the ultra gory and downright nuts, The Laughing Dead, which is all but guaranteed to become an instant favorite. So what are you waiting for? Head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and snatch up these blood-drenched gems right now
0: tonight's show is also brought to you by Adam Two from Lil Baker Films a disgraced software engineer creates an AI replica of himself, much to the chagrin of his mechanical engineer wife who is tasked with building it a body Ex Machina meets Hellraiser meets Texas Chainsaw in the sci-fi horror short based on the award winning screenplay. After a successful run in the festival circuit with their latest horror short, Vody, Lil Baker Films is asking you for help with their creepy next endeavor. Head to lilbakerfilms.com, that's L-I-L-B-A-K-E-R films.com or directly to Kickstarter and type in Adam2 all one word to help them bring this murder bot to life. They're in just the last few days of their fundraiser and have a lot of fun rewards and opportunities if you donate now. Be a part of horror history by helping bring Adam2 online. It's going to be a non-stop potboiler chill fest of blood bites and a broken marriage. Check out the Kickstarter now before time runs out.
1: In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head to Fangoria .com to learn more and subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, that is C O L O R S to save 25% off your yearly subscription. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. This is Dr. Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. How you doing?
0: Because you say I for me.
1: Because you say I for me. This is a chance.
0: <laughs> because you introduced me. <laughs> uh, yes, if you weren't in the Los Angeles area, you're missing the joke, which is we finally. Got to, after 10 years since we first saw Possession together, we yes. got to host a screening at USC, a great, great venue, great uh, screen theater, uh, really great crowd, um, great you turnout. D- you
1: know, there was like 500 some people that came to watch that screening.
0: That's pretty well.
1: Isn't that like thinking yeah. that 500 some people came to watch us screen the 4K restoration of Possession?
0: It was badass, and and I did realize as I as I was kind of because I don't usually try to think it through too much. It's a movie I just kind of feel it out. But this time I was like, all right, I'm gonna get some thoughts down. And I decided while we were doing it that this will be the first and only time I will ever do that personally, to thinking about that movie because I, I want that movie to stay special. But I'm gonna ask Alex if we can maybe get the audio from that mm-hmm. event and maybe post it as a bonus.
1: Oh, oh I stand corrected. It was like three hundred.
0: Uh but it I'm felt a little, like 500. I'm a
1: little it felt like five hundred y'all it really did. It was a it, packed house. There were several hundred people there with us two
0: hundred and forty were turned away at the door. <laughs> That's how many people uh all with sam neil t shirts uh but it was good it was it was fun to see it again uh for me back to back because i it just made made things clearer you know I thought I would maybe not want to see it straight away. Um, but you haven't seen it in a while, right?
1: I had not seen it um, since the Blu-ray came out. The Mondo Vision mm-hmm. Blu-ray came out um, probably five, six years ago was the last time I saw it. And it keeps getting better. The last time I'd seen it before that was that time 10 years ago when you and I saw it on yeah. 35 millimeter. And then every time I'd seen it before that was on VHS. So I assume that like next time I see it, it's going to be like on Hyper Brain Cube or something like that since it has to keep improving each time. So, but I got the- the pink
0: socks. By the way, I got it now. I didn't oh. while we were there. The next morning I woke up and totally understand it.
1: Okay. 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 Explain the pink socks. Uh,
0: I think it's as simple as this. I think so you got these. Uh, so this is a quick aside for anyone who knows what we're talking about. Uh, he is hired as an uh, he's espionage, right? Spy. Uh, and the guy who hires him is also saying, does the subject still wear pink socks? I think what it's about is the duplicity of everyone in the story. Everyone has this other side. And the very people who are employing him, so the very guy who's employing him, is actually the person they were always looking for. So in fact, they keep saying how Sam Neill's so great at his job, My feeling is they keep him there because he's actually a stooge. He's not great at his job because he's missing the person who's right in front of his eyes. So he's just like how he is. He's a cuckold, just like he is with his wife. He doesn't see what's right in front of him because the person he should be looking for was always right, the one who was employing him. And I think part of it is just to show, just like the Berlin Wall is divided, the division. This is another division. It's another doppelganger. Uh, So I, I think that's all it is. I think there's not meant to be more about it.
1: Oh, Kane explains possession, ladies. Pink and gentlemen. socks. That's the pink socks. It all comes down to those pink <laughs> socks. They they literally bookend the movie. They begin and end it. So there yeah. you go. They are that everything is summed up in pink socks, which he wore to the screening. So well I, done.
0: That's had some pink. No, it was a lot of fun doing that together. And and there was some. It was cool to see some of our friends and people stick around and actually um, check out the intro and uh, and the outro. So that was neat.
1: I enjoyed hearing from my students because uh, most of my students have never seen this before and had admitted never seen anything like it, and what um, a couple of my students said to me in class today that that made me realize you know kind of how we look at it as something special and it really is, is the idea that they never knew where it was going, but that it was going someplace that was uncomfortable, that it was constantly in this cringe, like moving forward into something bad, but th- that it was always going to be completely bonkers. Um, And, and that, you know, movies aren't necessarily like that a lot today. So I found that to just be really kind of fascinating. Yeah. You, you can
0: find that tone in maybe an indie because an indie can do what it wants. And maybe A24 occasionally has, but Hereditary, when you think about Hereditary, like we now consider it a classic, but while you're watching it, it's pretty out there. The, you know, beat to beat as a story, if I had just read that, I would I probably have not been able to predict where a lot of it was going. Uh, but the, but Possession is also the art house side too, so makes it even less predictable. So yeah, that was wild. And look out, like it's still screening across America. So this is a real an actual release. This isn't just like a, a print that screened one time. This is a 4K remaster that is playing in a lot of theaters and traveling across country. So, so check out your town, see if it's playing. Well worth it.
1: Excellent. Um, so I watched a lot of stuff, actually. I oh no, no so let's
0: let's go back to our new bev. And, oh and, shit!
1: Okay, and thank le- you. And
0: let it lead to that other thing.
1: Because this was um, so a couple of weeks ago. God, I have no sense of time anymore. No. It may have been yesterday. It might have been a year ago. I don't know anymore. But Elrick and I went to a um, double screening at the New Bev that were both um, classic Vincent Price films, and it was House on Haunted Hill and Thirteen Ghosts: The Original. The 13 Ghost screening at the New Bev, it was incredible because they actually showed it with the full, like, I don't even, illusion Illusion. illusion yeah. that was it. Where if you believe in ghosts, you can see the ghost by looking through one end of your 3D glasses. And if you don't believe in ghosts, you don't have to see the ghost by looking through the other end of your 3D glasses. And it was really cool effect. And the way that uh, it was actually shot, like William Castle, like, really it was so pioneering to be honest i've never seen anything like that done before and it was really clever um but we both were really kind of awestruck by how great the original 13 ghosts yeah. were because neither of us had been that familiar with it um and so we both decided to give the dark castle 13 ghosts a rewatch.
0: only because you yeah you gave it a plug like all up i was like my memory was because I loved House on Haunted Hill the remake in theaters. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, what a great horror film! It's super fun." And so I was all on board to watch it. I saw it in theaters, did not like it at all. But all I could remember are is like Glass, Ghosts, and Matthew Lillard. All I could remember, like Matthew <laughs> Lillard uh, dialing it up to thirteen. Um, but when we watched the original, I was like, this is such a charming story.
1: It's fun. Um, yeah, it it's a family film. It's fun almost. and funny, and it really does feel like a family film. It is still the same setup of a down-on-their-luck family that doesn't really have a place to live, is suddenly out of nowhere, this dead uncle shows up and is giving them a house and all of this money that's potentially buried therein. But, oh, yeah, he liked to hunt ghosts, and there's like 13 ghosts trapped inside the house. Um, but the ghosts in that one just kind of fuck around with you. Like, they're but, not yeah. menacing exactly. I
0: think there's, like, one that kind of comes more towards them that is a little bit more... But they, they're they weird-looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, there's a line tamer that's kind of goofy and stuff like that. But, but But the only way to outdo it is, I imagine the pitch where they're just like, all right, imagine the bad dude from Amadeus. Imagine him... <laughs> Coming and collecting good. Cause as soon as he pops Soliery? up, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah. popping <Soliery, laughs> Yeah. Uh,
1: <is> <laughs> my favorite of the, the original 13 ghosts in the original movie was the, um, the couple in the kitchen that kept making out. And then I guess they were supposed to be lovers. And then the chef ghost that was pissed. They were in the kitchen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so they were kind of my favorite, Uh, and the, and the lion tamer, of course, there was actually a ghost lion. So, um, so- far
0: less charming. Um, uh, is 13 Ghosts from 9 2001. So this guy, the guy who made this was a visual effects guy. He did go on to make Ghost Ship, which has that great opening, but he didn't he hadn't really directed it at all. He was just a VFX guy uh leading up to 13 Ghosts. So uh I rewatched this and my feeling was I had quite a lot of fun watching it again. Um I think you're right, the Tony Shalhoub factor does take a movie a long way. Um, You can put him in anything and he's watchable and likable.
1: I I love Tony. So I have to confess, like I am an avid monk fan, like Uh have rewatched the entire series repeatedly, um, which is another Tony Shalhoub with dead wife project. Um, But yeah, I I will watch Tony Shalhoub in just about anything. He's just always charming for me.
0: Yeah. This one starts really violently. Like they're, they're in a, it it reminded me at the start of nightmare. Four, yeah, the start. Uh, <laughs> I think where they're going to the junkyard and they're trying to. Tra- he's trying to track. Basically, I don't understand the ghosts in this movie. Like, why they're so violent and oh, so people.
1: I looked it up while I was watching the movie last night. By the way, if you go to the Wikipedia page, you can read uh-huh. the backstory on every single one of those ghosts. Apparently, uh-huh. it was offered as a bonus feature on the Blu-ray or the DVD oh, cool. when it first came out. Was like, and here's the backstory on all of the thirteen ghosts. Um, and, and what they were in life. Like the, the angry Prince, um, was a baseball player, um, who was tricked and and ended up in, I think it was a car wreck. Hmm. Um, and then like the, the scorned princess or whatever it was, she was plastic surgery and didn't like the way she looked and ended up killing herself in the bathtub. Like they all have, um, the one at the junkyard was an actual serial killer. His wasn't that exciting. He just lived at a serial killer, killed people and fed the bodies to his dogs um so yeah they all had these really and some of them were interesting like um the the great child and the burdened mother yeah,
0: that was cool Yeah, it was
1: uh, this backstory behind them it was really kind of like santa sangri where it was like mm. circus and they were in like a freak show and it was anyway so all 13 have backstories
0: <laughs> no, yeah, and I get that, but I guess I mean like why are the ghosts able to kill people? Like in the opening scene the ghost is like <laughs> like flipping trucks and coming after yeah. people. I was like, I don't know if the ghost could do that, but what They
1: can. But this is that's part of what makes them part of quote The Black Zodiac. Yeah. Um was that they died so violently and were filled with so much rage from their death that they are unable to ascend to another plane so they're stuck here on earth and that's what makes them so important. For this machine. And that's part of why I love this one is that um, this 13 Ghosts, the, the newer one, it uses supernatural stuff as science. Like there is very much science in this, but it is all kind of supernatural lore around it. And I find that really fascinating.
0: Did did you find, and it might be on the Blu-ray, my biggest feeling about it watching it this time is it's super fun. The the setup is almost exactly the same with the family. Yeah. You know, they move into a nice house. You get the girl from American Pie. They're all moving into a house. Um, And suddenly it, it gets a lot more violent and a lot more grotesque, obviously, once they're there. But the part about the film that kind of threw me is in the last, like, 10 minutes, it feels like it was cut down dramatically. It feels like there was a some other cutout there that could have existed that would have been, like, 30 minutes longer because they the, especially once F. Murray character comes back in at the end, mm-hmm. it is just so fast and brief. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a climax, really. In that
1: I part. agree with you. I didn't find anything about it being heavily cut. Um, no. But, yeah, it did. As soon as he shows back up, it's like, oh, movie's over. Like, the climax, yeah. is, it's literally the shortest third act like you can think of
0: heavily truncated, Um, but but super fun along the way and like you said yeah the thing about the machine the house is a machine the house is this black zodiac the thing of ghosts powering the machine that's really interesting and uh, maybe didn't always balance as well with the family side of it if you know what I mean
1: I loved it I think it's so over the top and so campy but the house and just the production design that went into this was so beautiful I mean just the glass walls the construction of the house how the rooms function the sets are just dynamite um this made me miss movies that have budgets um because the budget on this movie was 42 million what god damn you feel it you feel it it, yeah at the house because watching it i mean like think about this or any of the dark castle films as opposed to like the films that we have today like we don't make 42 million dollar horror films anymore um and so feeling something this big was just remarkable like A24 and Blumhouse, they just don't do $42 million things. Yeah. So yeah, this was, um that was kind of my biggest thing is like, and there's another set. There's another floor to the house. Oh my God, more ghosts. It was just, it. the scope just felt huge.
0: I can't recall. Was this uh, was this one the nail in the coffin for that cycle, or was there another one that I'm not thinking I about, with House of? Without 113 Ghost,
1: there is one more after this. And I will say this did not make a lot back, even though the budget was 42 million. I think it only cleared like 70 million, so it was not a huge money maker. I assume Ghost Ship um, was
0: one of those, but I it wasn't Ghost a William Sh- Castle film.
1: Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I know this came out after House on Haunted Hill. I yeah, don't know yeah. what came after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember. I think, I mean, maybe there's another castle, but it does show that they're rife. I think it's a cool idea to take something that was a low budget independent film mm-hmm. and give it a big budget spin and really change a lot. Like I, it's very, very different in the in the lore. So I thought that was super cool. But I did enjoy watching it and I do think it's a pretty good Halloween type movie right now because there's lots of crazy looking ghouls in there so it's uh, so I'm surprised I'm recommending it. I've got to be honest
1: (laughs) I'm Uh, glad that you enjoyed it now but this was not the only thing that we both watched this week we both decided to go a little bit more current and we both watched old and I'm fairly sure we have very contradicting views of this film yeah I
0: would say with this one we might just need to warn you that it might we won't be spoilery straight away we'll try to be but it's going to be hard not to accidentally uh, think, say something we won't talk about it
1: happens this in the trailer i, yeah, don't I think, think we'll that, go yeah. Past yeah, we won't
0: that. tell you the <laughs> ending all i'm gonna say that's where i lost interest is in like the last 10 minutes for me i was like oh but but yeah so this is if you've seen the trailer this is m night uh it's about a family uh that is vacationing um that is obviously having some issues between the husband and wife they have a kid who's like six and a kid who's like 12 or something yeah like that, or maybe 10, 10 10 or something so prepubescent which is a kind of part of the narrative mm-hmm. um and they go to this island they get told about a very special beach uh that they're going to be the only ones going to it and then they get out there and realize there's a couple other families who we've all in- been introduced um as and it's kind of subtly or not so subtly with some of them shown that they might have certain medical issues in the first uh, kind of part when they're all at the hotel still. Um, We learn just little things here and there about people. Um, And then we get out there and you know, as you've probably seen the trailer, we start to see... There's It kind of surprised me with the violent part of it at the start mm-hmm. with the... Uh, which character is that? Um, the guy from Dark City. Rufus Sewell is, is a doctor and he kind of turn, seems to turn he violent. He attacks
1: and, a rapper mid-sized sedan. sedan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> H- whose, whose girlfriend kind of opens the sequence as having already died and we don't know why. So they're all yeah. A little bit. So we might be jumping over the point. But but basically, as soon as people start spending time away from the others on this beach, and starting with the kids, we start to see people aging. Uh, and the differences... And I thought what was confusing me at the start, I kept going, oh, is, is it the water or saying Because the kids are the only ones aging. But then as soon as the adults start talking, you're like, oh, it's because adults you're noticing them age a lot slower whereas kids yeah. are making dramatically dramatic
1: changes. All of that
0: I was totally in. Like the way it was being filmed, the yeah. way that I was just so glued like, "Ooh, what's happening?" um up to that point. So I want to hear where you where do you take a <laughs> where do you ways with old?
1: Oh my god, this movie pained me. Um and I ugh, I will say I respect people who like this cuz I saw people online being like, "This is M Night's best film since Sixth Sense." And God bless him. Um, But yeah, this was not my jam. And I think a lot from the of it- start or was there a point the start, where you started to- okay. From the start, the dialogue in this really hurt me. Like at my soul, there was just something about the dialogue that mm. just, and it was, a lot of it was very direct. Like I, and as I mentioned to you, um, when I was like having my catharsis about this film, in the first like 15 minutes of the movie, somebody says, I feel angry. I feel sad. This is giving me anxiety. And it's like they're all just stayed. It's like literally breaking rule number one of, of um, you know, making films. And uh, so, but not
0: yeah. M. Night Films. Remember, not M. Night, Night Films. Mark Wahlberg talking to donkeys. Come on.
1: And I found a lot of it to be kind of repetitive and over the top. Like, even just at the very beginning, there's a girl who's ordering a calcium rich drink. And she says um, something like, I'm going to order the calcium rich drink. At Better Be Low Fat because I don't mm-hmm. want to gain weight, because that's disgusting. It'll make you ugly. Boys won't like you. And oh, it's just like, it. and she just keeps going. And I'm like, this line should have ended like five lines ago, because we got the point. Let's move on with it. You are literally not doing anything at this point to forward your character.
0: Remember, we don't um, have PhDs, so I was no, telling this fine.
1: This isn't a PhD <laughs> thing. This is just a the dialogue for me. Was painful. And I was I've tried to explain this since then, because I have students who thought it was great. And I was just like, I don't it just drove me crazy. And even once they got to the beach, some of the dialogue, it was just moments where I just like roll my eyes at some of the dialogue um so yeah I like,
0: I the file, like the roving camera that would keep spinning the roving camera it would change it would change things people would age while we're moving i thought some of that yeah. was really smart
1: there was and i have to say there was even though that i found some of the dialogue to be taxing there was never a point where i wanted to turn it off because i was yeah. always like well fuck i'm really hooked in to everything else i have to see where this is going it's like, twilight total,
0: zone right like it's yeah, like an episode you had it's to. it's total twilight
1: zone like yeah. i had to see where it was going I did not like the twist at the end in any capacity, and that actually took me out of it a lot more. Yeah, Um, no, this to me if had I been shocked by the end and been like, "That was cool," I may have forgiven the dialogue.
0: Yeah, there's a Um, point about ten minutes before the end, maybe a little longer. uh, You see a couple people on a beach and kind of like in front of a fire, and I was just like, "Oh man, the art house movie that ends right here and cuts to credits." I'm gonna, (laughs) I'll think about it for the rest of my life because, but, but if you keep going, which we all know you have to with a movie like this. Uh, you're going to have to find some way to explain all of this and that never holds up really. But I thought some of the performances were interesting. I thought Vicky Crepes, the mom, was interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Her daughter, Thomason McKenzie, who's also in One Night at Soho coming out, was good. And Alex Wolf from Hereditary, the boy, he was you know, the older boy version, mm-hmm. was good. But it is, you know, there's, uh, there's parts where the kids disappear and come back. There's a part where a, a young boy and a young girl disappear and when they come back, the whole story changes and it's just that's when it
1: became a lifetime film for me that's when it got sleazy yeah
0: but i thought that was interesting because it yes it it would it is sleazy technically but it doesn't it's something about uh the parental side of me kept watching this thing going oh as a pandemic movie at least i couldn't help but go oh this is that thing where you're not if you don't pay attention for a second, like you blink and then suddenly you look at a photo of your kids or something, you realize, Oh, they're all freaking growing up. We're missing so much. Every time you look away or do your own thing, get preoccupied. So I, I think I was feeling them, the emotion of the movie until I wasn't. Um, but but there was a part where I thought, man, this is gonna be a three and a half star film if it if it can end strong and you know, it didn't end strong in my opinion. But
1: Yeah. yeah. Every but I, I will say like, like everybody that I was seeing on Letterboxd had either given it four stars or two stars. Yeah, no, and I, so, so it boring, is yeah. It is really polarizing. I, I didn't find too many people who were like middling on it. It was very much like a visceral, like I despised that versus, you know, I thought it was doing something really interesting. Um. So yeah, mad respect for those of you who enjoyed it. This was not for me. Yeah, um, I think I liked it. Reason. I
0: definitely was more gripped than you were. So I liked it more, but, but you know, again, I think it's M night. I thought his directing chops were in good form in this movie. Um. But yeah, maybe some of his problems might be in the writing,
1: but you know, yeah. Well, I'm going to dig into something else contemporary that you didn't Good watch way. that I need you to watch, and that is Squid Games.
0: But how did you fit in 350 hours of viewing? Because I can't do that. It's I'm okay.
1: Only, I'm only on like episode four. Oh, okay. Um, fair That's enough. I didn't one, right? watch. It's like six, maybe 10 episodes. Okay. No, I, not- I mean-
0: my kid, who's uh, seven, talks about it all the time. He has not seen it, but that's all kids are talking you about. You know, still. right?
1: Marnie, too, yep. knows all about it. Everyone like, is it,
0: playing it at their schools. They're yeah. playing games. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but they're all reenacting, like, certain things and tagging people and dying on the ground and all sorts Marnie stuff.
1: came home and asked me if it was real, and she was really kind of upset by the concept of it at first, and I was like, Marnie, it's a TV show, and I showed her the first couple of minutes of it, which there's nothing violent. Like, it takes a while to get the violence going, and I was like, look, it's... It's a TV show on Netflix. And then she was like bored by the first five minutes. And I was like, okay, well, that fixed itself yeah. um, because it opens with family dramas and oh, she's yeah. not, yeah. So, um, but I know you usually hesitate whenever something gets really popular like that's, that. I
0: you're exactly right, why I, I know, haven't watched I
1: it. I know <laughs> you. We've been doing this for 10 years, dude. I know you. Mm. And as soon as something becomes a, quote, phenomenon, Elric checks out.
0: I know. Um, and, and, and it's South Korean, so I should know better. I should know South anything from South Korea that's also breaking through is bound to be amazing. But- I just, yeah, there's something about that popularity that you're like, wait, did, was this manufactured by Netflix to be popular? What just happened? It
1: is, it is heavy and it's tense, but mm. it is unlike, um, I'll say something like Battle Royale or, yeah. or other films of kind of the same ilk. It has a host-like humor. Oh, okay. Two parts of it. And the aesthetics of it are great. Mm. Um, so I, I will yeah. hold from talking about it anymore, but I'm just going to deeply encourage you to go watch it.
0: I saw a little bit of the girl next to me on the plane when I was flying to New York, she was watching it on her laptop and I was playing a trivia game on the on the thing in front of me, and at the end of the flight, I never saw her once look over in my direction. At the end, she goes, You should go on Jeopardy! I kept looking, You should, and I was like, Only winning the movie <laughs> question, it was only movie question, nothing else. I would have gotten. I remember
1: my when you and, I, you and I played that same like movie trivia game oh, yeah, on the way fun, to yeah. some convention? And as soon as a sports question would come up, we'd be like, You got no, no, okay, we're just not going to answer this. I'd get one. cricket,
0: I'd get cricket, right? But yeah,
1: nobody knows cricket. Who asked cricket I trivia? Do. Hey, that's sometimes it's could no be a British plane. <laughs>
0: it's happened before. There's Next English time
1: fun. we're on Virgin, we'll do the cricket game. Exactly. So. exactly.
0: Um, okay, I will start watching that before the next next one. I'll at least watch the pilot. Um,
1: okay. Um, You'll uh, be hooked I, after that. No,
0: I know I want to see it. But, you know, when Halloween's on, it's like, I just want to watch as many movies and then
1: TV
0: yeah. will just eat it all up. Um, I saw a remake of a movie that should be awful. Um, and that is Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, directed by Danishka Esterhazy. she's made this quite is, a few films. She made this the banana on sci-fi, Splits
1: movie. right?
0: It was on Sci-Fi, and okay. the, she made the banana Splits movie, which I didn't see. And I recorded this on Sci-Fi, and this is the first movie I have watched in probably, I feel like, a decade that was taped off TV where I watched it with commercials. You know what I mean? Wait. Like.
1: Why do you still have terrestrial television to do I don't so?
0: Because I think probably because there's some channel I probably want to watch. I don't know. I I don't think about such things. Anyway, I did recorded it off Sci-Fi because I heard it was going to be on Sci-Fi. I recorded it, so I actually fast forward. Here's the twist. Prepare yourself. This movie is a lot of fun, and I was very shocked that I liked this movie. Like I was going because I love the original Slumber Party One and Two, and I was just like, okay, let's see what they do. As you might recall, when you went with me to a certain other remake, Black Christmas, uh, a couple years ago, even mm-hmm. though I like all the people involved in that movie, I just, I, I really genuinely dislike that because it felt like all the, all the, what would have been subtext is all being said aloud. And there's just something about that movie that just didn't work for me the way they're kind of, the referential quality to it. This movie's doing all those same things and yet somehow completely worked for me. So I, I, I've read online that this is polarizing too. I've seen some people who I maybe would say have similar tastes who hated it. And I've seen some people say it's super, super fun. I think up until the ending, the ending falls a little flat, but but man, I, I was just like, with these girls, I think it's funny, it's definitely going for some big swings in the referential department, it has some really good nods to the original film, if you know that film well, you'll get a kick out of it, and it do, it has a big, 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 big twist early, so I'm not going to ruin it, but it's like the twist of why the movie's happening, once that is hit, I was in. I was like, okay, I want to see where this this goes. And it gave it purpose, so it didn't just feel stupid to me. So it was breezy, and it wasn't deep or anything like that, but I actually had a lot of fun. The the killer who... Is definitely the biggest reference to the first film. He's definitely he's even doing like the big eyes. He's doing all the gestures. It's kind of awesome that the person is basically (laughs) recreating what is one of the dumbest like uh, a horror movie villains. But does he wear the
1: red shirt and jean jacket? He's
0: definitely got jean stuff. I can't remember if he's got the red shirt, but he's doing he's doing a lot of it. Uh, And it's just it's it feels very now. They they definitely tie it in to how we feel now. But the opening like ten minutes is just like set in the past, and they just like just. pretty intense like slasher vibe Uh, I don't know I don't want to overhype it because again it's not you know, it's not the it's not something like old or whatever that's going to be deep buying. But I do think people who are think maybe staying away because they think it's going to be a junky sci-fi thing. It, it's a good sign the the sci-fi movies that they're going to be real quality.
1: Hey, uh, I wrote one of them. I know. What yeah, Bring It On is uh, Bring It On Halloween. Is, well, it or... made me
0: think it could be like this and that kind of quality of of a fun, fast-moving slasher. So that's a good sign.
1: That is a good sign, yeah. isn't it? No, I think and you'll like I will it. We'll say. Like sci fi is really trying some stuff right now. I had heard kind of internally, um, years ago that they were they were kind of trying to give shutter a run for their money. And so they've got, you know, child's play, they've got, um, Jared just did day of the dead for them. So yeah, they're really trying, um, a lot of kind of horror swings and I, I wish them well, I'm excited about some of it.
0: So I'm going on the record saying I had a good time. So I, and I think you will enjoy this. I think you'll find it fun.
1: I want to see this. I'm in a bunch of women in horror group and they were all heralding this. So Yeah. um, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Um. Okay, so I'm gonna go to one of the graphic novels. I'm I'm binging through all my graphic novels as I have been for the past couple of weeks, and I'm at the point where I need more. Um, I've made it through most of my I'll call them my pandemic purchases. When I was so depressed and boring, I would buy thirty graphic novels in one s- sitting, and then be like, "What the fuck did I just do?" Um, I've finally kind of made it through most of those. So this week I read. Um, I thought this one was amazing. Crossroads at Midnight by Abby Howard. This one was recommended to me um, by one of my really good friends, Ben Dole, um, Australian listens to the show, um, had had messaged me a couple of weeks ago and been like, you need to read this. This is going to be your jam. And I can see exactly why he recommended it to me, because I can best describe it as a southern homespun Junji edo. Hmm. which is the weirdest sounding thing ever, but it's kind of like it, it, it just is. It is um, a series of stories. It's an anthology, um, but they all have this kind of Southern homespun quality to them, but they are mixed with just these um, almost like otherworldly body horrors for a lot of them. Um, the first one is about this girl on a farm, who starts talking to this person that she thinks lives next door through a fence. And it gets really fucked up from there. Like I can't say anything more than that. One of them, um, one of the more, and I'll say this is probably like the most uh, non-rural one is about a girl who is, I think she's supposed to be in college and she's down on her luck and doesn't, she's been sleeping on like a pile of clothes on the floor of her apartment. And one day she finds a mattress on the, this corner and wraps it, in you know sheets and brings it home and decides that you know she's got herself a new mattress and then what happens when she starts sleeping on it and are um, they at
0: all connected or just short stories
1: just short stories oh, okay. and they but they all like you can feel they're from the same author like they yeah. all have a similar tone they all have this kind of like normality um they all kind of start in in a real homespun quality and then kind of explode from there um and and they're just they get wild i really enjoyed this one the art is awesome it's this like cross-hatching art it's very similar um pencil style art to what we would have seen in like um my favorite thing is monsters yeah. where i just look at it and go my god it must have taken you 10 years to draw this just because it's so detailed um the entire thing is black and white like ink sketches but it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, So yeah, this was, it's a massive, it's 352 pages, but I burned through it. Like, I think I read the entire thing in two days um, because the stories were so captivating. Yeah. If you're Junji Ito fan, um, this is very much like American Midwestern Southern gothic Genji Junji Ito, if I, that's a thing. Um, Yeah. This is Crossroads at Midnight by Abby Howard put out from Iron Circus Comics. Yeah. Um, and this was like one of my favorite finds of the year. So far. I would
0: like to borrow that. And I want to, you posted another one on Twitter about Daniel Crosswater. Krauss- so, so, OK, so yeah, really I
1: really wanted farther. to talk about this, but I didn't make it through. So I've only read okay. half. So I'm going to save that it way. for next week. This is the autumnal autumn. Autumnal, yeah. um, Autumnal, <laughs> which I is know. um daniel krause's and i had been seeing this because the front image of this i believe got banned off socials because it's uh-huh. so intense and i'm only about maybe 40 pages okay, in sweet. um so i'm gonna save it for next week we yeah, should have daniel on the show sometime yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I'd like to borrow that. So like, yeah. it, it just looked cool to me the cover But I, I'll come over and borrow both those. Cause- yeah.
1: And I also, while I was at the library, I just picked up the Lolo Woods, which looks mm. really cool, which I haven't. This is a oh, Joe Hill, right? Yeah, this is a DC uh, black label. I uh, actually
0: almost bought the first issue of that when it came yeah. out. It's I'm excited cool. to
1: read this one too. So
0: You're on it. I got I to gotta do more graphic novels. I always love them, but I always forget about them.
1: You know, it's what I read before bed. I always try to read novels before bed and I, I can't. Like I just, I am one of those people who's like chapter two. I will read the first sentence. I will read the second sentence six times and yeah. then I'm done. And I have no clue what happens after that. So graphic novels, I can usually engage in for a good like 20 minutes of reading, because by the time that I get to the point where I'm reading, I should probably just go to bed. But I I kind of want that time. I want to be able to read. And I also just picked up one that I'm equally excited about called Gory Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. Gory Details. Hmm. Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. So this is my like twisted uh, nonfiction fascination. So I'm excited for that one, too.
0: I saw my, I think that's the last of the new ones. Um, I watched the new Netflix movie, Night Teeth. Uh, by, oh, that's the
1: plain one. No, it's the vampire the, one.
0: Yeah, that's thinking Blood Blood Sky. sky yeah. that, which I still I, haven't seen. It's really.
1: still on my queue too.
0: Um, yeah, this is Night Teeth. This is vampires in Los Angeles at night. Um, it was, I think early on got a lot of people excited because there was an image of Megan Fox and Sydney Sweeney together as vampires and that was being circulated and everyone was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. Get Ready to Get Angry, because I was. It, it's been a while since I've been pissed off about saying in a movie, but in this movie, the two of them are in this movie for less than a whole scene. It is about two and a half minutes of screen time, and it's just them talking. And I, I was like, wow, they are really not in this movie, and they were just used to get everyone excited. And it really bummed me out, because they actually looked really badass as vampires, um, so that would have been a whole different movie that might have been cool. Uh, this movie really annoyed me because it's just so empty like it's visually very well crafted it's a big looking movie it's a big netflix movie it's like true blood if true blood was a lot more sexless Mm -hmm. and it's it's not very horror-ish you know it's a college student who uh he has to drive his brothers well there's it, it basically opens with voiceover telling you about this ancient battle between vampires in l.a. And this Boyle Heights area where vampires aren't allowed. There's a truce. No one knows about it in the general. And, and Why it's like, Boyle Heights. I know. I mean, it's know. Just,
1: it's cool architecture. Maybe that's it.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's also saying about starting with voiceover and telling us this backstory that it, you're just like, okay, you're going for this. It probably should be a TV show or something, not a not a movie. But, um, It looks good, and then this young college student who doesn't know all all the lore, uh, he has to drive, his brother's heavily involved in all of this, he has to drive uh, his limo big car thing that night, and he gets picked up by two vampires who are going to make him kind of like collateral, go from place to place as they try to kill uh, their competition vampires in the night and trying they have they're working for a guy who's gonna try to take over the landscape basically mm-hmm. and restart the war and you know so there's some cool stuff there's some cool moments there uh, the, one of the vampires I think is a really good performance one of the girls female vampires and but it's just like it's one of those things where the horror is not horror enough it all feels fr- slick and empty and big but without without that feeling I want from a horror thing that said you know I could see it being definitely a younger demographic I'd say for um, but for me, it was a pass. I got to say. Um, that said,
1: is it actually shot in Boyle Heights? Like, do they uh, use? Some I think the there's neighbor- Do they use the giant Sears Tower or anything like that? I don't know or- if they
0: use that? They used something that was interesting, like an older. Um, mission style kind of architecture. Okay. Yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely more but, kind
1: of the Boyle Heights stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's just, you know, again, I, I always enjoy True Blood, but True Blood also had that especially at the start, I enjoyed True Blood where I had that mm-hmm. sexy energy at least. This kind of acts like it has it, but doesn't really have much there. So uh like it's a vampire film without teeth kind of vibe. Um that said I also that made me feel a little old, but what made me feel ancient, like a thousand years old, was the pilot of I Know What You Did Last Summer, which yeah. I I decided I won't be continuing on, not because it might not get good, but because I just I felt like I've never felt like something was less made for me than that show. I was just watching go, wow, yeah, I shouldn't probably watch this. This is about young people doing young people thing and i don't know if i believe a <laughs> second of it oh my you God. know i just did i really did i felt old i was like i don't identify even the dad felt old uh, young to me i was like even the dad character feels too young
1: i don't know i um, guess like i i really liked one of us is lying and that was i like that know.
0: too though that's what i'm saying i don't think it's always about age i just think it's about like there's a style thing maybe or all the kids are doing these crazy drugs at a party maybe it's all bullshit too you know uh, and it's in hawaii but yeah it, it was interesting for a, a, a beat but if anyone's watching the whole thing, both should tag back in if it gets really good because I think I'm done with just one and done on that one.
1: Yeah, please tweet us if yeah, we need to get back in to I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, there was there was no
0: 40-year-old Jennifer Love Hewitt, so why am I watching this? I'm only here for 40-year-old J-Ho, <laughs> or, or whatever we call it, j <laughs>
1: Um. Okay. Well, I'm gonna get weird, or uh, more of kind of deep okay, cutty. Like sure. I probably should save this one. Um, for the Patreon show. But you know what? I'm here and I'm dropping this because it is bleeding skull title that I found out about when they came on our show, wow. and that is they bite from 1996. Um. So this was directed and written by Brett Piper, who uh, still writes and directs stuff for sci-fi. This was not a sci-fi movie. Um, this was very much a Bleeding Skull esque film from 1996, which I had never heard of. It is basically a parody of Humanoids of the Deep, mm. where the sea creatures come, they're massive. It's men in monster suits come ashore and start raping women and mating with them um, to try to propagate their species. But it's a comedy. It's very much like if Humanoids of the Deep was a screwball comedy. It's also got a lot of TNA in it. Um, so it's basically Porky's if that was Humanoids of the Deep. This was a weird one for me. It's also very porny because there's a subplot where there's um, a film crew there shooting a porn. And so there's lots of naked people running down and Ron Jeremy's in it, which makes it even cringier. Yeah. Um, And so this whole thing, it was a weird movie. There were parts where I was like, cool men in monster suits. I enjoy your fish monster. Um, and it's set in Florida, which is just kind of interesting to begin with. Um, and then there were other parts where I was like, this whole movie is making me cringe a lot. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to call this aquatic horror completionists only. Um, and this is, uh, rather hard to find. I think I ended up finding it on YouTube. So I guess not that hard. Um, but yeah, this is very much like if you think bleeding skull titles, this is a bleeding skull title. They bite. Nineteen
0: ninety-six. Okay, good to know. For I'll wait for it to appear in a book one day. From you, not uh, watch the movie. That's how. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll mention is, I just I was just telling you off camera. I hadn't seen a since the theater. Um, but I wanted to rewatch and show students the first 20 minutes because I had a real memory of that being quite different than the rest. It's like very atmospheric thing about a child view on sex and death and all these kind of moments. And watching it again today, I got it just utterly knocked my socks off. Uh, that that especially <coughs> the opening. So just recommending people if you haven't seen it, you know the rest of the movie's interesting and it's like got kind of coming of age sexuality and giallo rip vibes. But the first 20 minutes, it's like its own short film. And I think it's one of the best things I've seen about a way a kid sees the world and sees Mm -hmm. things that are outside of their knowledge base, but how they make them creepy. So like death, things around the body, things around their parents sleeping together, like it's really incredibly atmospheric. So if you've never watched that or you've heard, you know, that it's just an art piece or something, I would just recommend watching the start. It's pretty it really kind of um, uh, it it feels like they're reinventing uh, the kind of uh, art house, your art house language in a way in that opening, which I thought was really cool.
1: And the last thing that I will mention is season four of Dragula has come to shudder. And um, they they're doing this as like a tiered release. So they're not throwing all the episodes out at once. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've only released two episodes. But I am so excited to have this show back. Um, It is like my favorite type of reality show. Um, And I absolutely love it. Drakenswan are obviously um, friends of the show. We've had them on shockwaves before. And we should really get them back on this one as well. They they are just absolutely lovely. Um, So, yeah, Dracula season three or season four. Um, Just an absolute trip. Sean T- Keller is in the first episode. Um, He acting. dies. Yeah, he's acting in the first episode. Right now I'm cheering for, Um, there's a South Korean contestant, Hoso Teratoma. And also I really like Bitter Betty. So I'm hoping that they place well. So we'll see how it goes down.
0: Nice. And uh, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't endorse it, but I, I sure can tell you. There'll be Talking Heads, um, and that is brand new Sean Shutter that features apparently both of us.
1: Both um, of us.
0: <laughs> I have not seen it, but somebody just wrote to me a second before I got on here and said I just saw your head on that I assumed I wasn't going to be in that one because I remember having the least to say about Michael Myers, but having a lot to say about, say, Pinhead. So we'll see. Neither of us. Yeah. But it is called the. Um, what is the title? The monsters.
1: The monsters that made us. I think.
0: Yeah, or it's a twist it on that. May,
1: but- it may have a different title now. Um, but it's all the yeah.
0: different... The, the first season is all the different really big icons of har Each mm-hmm. episode, looking at them with people involved in the movie, the effects makers, the directors, and we both were uh we both were part of it during it was kind of like mid pandemic or late
1: yeah that was the weird pandemic moment because I remember that was like one of the first times I'd been around people and I remember yeah. still being very like six feet apart and I remember that when you walked into the shooting studio you had to stand in this plexiglass cage um while they took your temperature and asked you all these questions and and then you were allowed to proceed into the building yeah it was still like super tight pandemic but we got it yeah. done and it's so- fun
0: so who knows? We'd have no clue if we're in it or how much, but we, it's fun to be part of it. And I'm sure it's yeah. going to be a good series either way. So uh, I'll check that out and we can talk about it next week. Yeah. All right. So we wanted to do something a little special. It's Halloween time. That's our Halloween episode. But we've also been doing this in one version or another for like 10 years. So at a certain point you start to go, we can only talk about Halloween movies every, uh, I'm kind of burned out on that part
1: we realized that we have probably made 10 years worth of lists of like the best movies to watch on Halloween night or the best movies set on Halloween and talking about, you know, making I know one year we made um, Halloween uh, screenings where we were like curating like what we would play for our all-nighter and things like that. Yeah,
0: I think last year's was something interesting. I can't remember what it was, but it felt, was that the ratings thing we did? I
1: think we did the ratings where we had to pick a G, a PG a PG 13 and an R and even an X um, to show on halloween night so this year once again we had to kind of reinvent and and mix it up a little bit and so we have come up with 100 years of horror deep cuts
0: yes so the concept here is we're going to go from the 1920s to the 2010s so 100 years we're going to go decade by decade and we're just going to pick one film each uh, it doesn't have to be a super deep cut and obscure, but it could be. And one deep cut that we want to bring attention to tonight, it could be a favorite. It could be not. What it's not meant to be is what is the best movie of that decade? Uh, that's a different show. We might do that someday. But so altogether, we're going to be doing 10 films each, one from each decade and counting it down. It'll be kind of brief. And some of them will be ones we've talked about on here before in various incarnations of show. But it should be a fun way to kind of create a crazy list uh, and kind of cut through 100 years of horror for a very yeah. special Halloween episode. I like no it. No
1: doubt. Yeah, I really based a lot of mine off films that I thought really needed more attention. Um, Ones that uh, there's a few where I was like, and it's streaming now and you should go pay attention to it. Yeah. while it's doing that um so yeah they're they're not necessarily ones that i would target and say this is a perfect watch for halloween night um go watch 13 ghosts you know that classifies as that but yeah i
0: don't think any of these are necessarily related to halloween night a couple of them will probably be perfect but no i think it's just for that it's maybe to fuel you up to watch actually to start watching in november
1: fuel you up
0: fuel fuel you up oh okay I mean, if you want to get yeah. felt up, there's probably a couple of films on this list that will do that for you. But no, if you want to be fueled up with good... Uh, fueled. Be picked up. Fueled, fueled
1: up. Yes, right. um, so yeah, and we wanted to go all the way back. We debated starting at 1950, but we thought 100 years is awesome. And we don't get to talk about like 1920s horror much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, any excuse to kind of dip back in time a little bit more will always take. Yeah, the silent
0: so, stuff has some great visual filmmaking going on before sound is really coming into the picture especially talkies so i think the 20s had some pretty great stuff but i actually went for a favorite in this one for myself so
1: Okay, you want to kick us off with your 1920s deep cuts?
0: From 1927, uh, from one of my favorite directors of that period, Mr. Todd Browning, it is the film The Unknown. Um, This is just one of my favorite movies, period. Uh, People probably heard me mention it before. This is a Lon Chaney film. It's one of Joan Crawford's first films, if not her first film. Um, And it is, it actually, uh, the more I was thinking about it, it ties into Santa Sangre quite a lot. Um, in terms of the character archetype. So uh, Lon Chaney, in what I think is his best performance, he plays Alonzo, the armless knife thrower uh, at a circus who has fallen in love with uh, the Joan Crawford character. He's obviously a lot older than her, but, um, but he has no arms, but he can play guitar with his feet. He can throw knives with his feet. He has all these incredible skills. What she doesn't know and no one knows is he's actually a criminal who wait, not, not that unusual for carnival folk probably back then, but uh, on the move. But he is in hiding from a crime he's committed. And in fact, he actually has twists arms, and he's just uh, tied them back, painfully back, so uh, because he has a freakish, deformed um, thumb, that's almost like having two thumbs, and so he's very identifiable by his crime, which plays a major twist, which I won't ruin uh, later on in this, and so so he's basically pretending to be uh, the arm you know armless and it's fascinating because it just so happens that she's been traumatized and can't bear to be touched, so she can only the reason why they get along so well is because he can't touch her and she can't bear to be touched of course, the strong man is making all these overtures towards her, uh, and her father's very overbearing and dominating domineering um, but that's her kind of phobia is being touched so Uh, it, it, this has the most wild twist in the history, I think of any movie I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not just saying that, like when I saw this movie, the very last few minutes, what, what Lon Chaney does towards the end of this movie, uh, to be loved is so bonkers. Uh, and it might be obvious, I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, but it's wild and makes you go, whoa, this movie is really perverse for nine, you know, for, for when it's, oh, it's pre-code, but still, uh, it is really dark. Uh, and it leads to real insanity. Like the last act is he's losing his mind and he's pushing things so far because he wants to have basically own this woman and possess her, but she is interested suddenly in the strong man. And, and it goes from there. So I'm not going to say too much more. It's very, you know, it's, it's pretty expressionistic, uh, of the time, which is pretty common. I think Todd Browning is fantastic because he, you know, he actually was a part of uh part of the circus for a long time. He was the, um, I think, the guy you buried underground, like to like he had died, and then bring him back to life so he could be buried in a coffin for a long uh, period. And he, I think he's called like the Living Lightning or something. I can't remember what it was, but you know, so he was he was part of that world. So Freaks is a very authentic movie, and as mm-hmm. is this. So, uh, it, it, so many people haven't seen this. It's definitely under the radar, but it came a lot. Um, it, it emerged a lot more f- uh, f- probably about twelve years ago. Whenever I, it was, I first saw it when um, a box set of his stuff came out. That had largely been going unnoticed because there was a documentary about Lon Chaney, and if you haven't seen it, he really remains one of the most fascinating performers of all time. He he's just he does his own makeup. He uh, is you know takes the, he ties his body parts back. He he does things that are just were pioneering in in horror and in costume and makeup. And, he, you know, I think he's just an incredible actor. You know, I never heard him speak, really. I, mean, I cut maybe done Holy Three, yeah. maybe one of the later ones. But yeah, he was mostly in the silent period.
1: Um. So my 1920s pick is also one of my faves and one that does not get a lot of play as far as like 1920s horror goes. And this is um, Rex Ingram's The Magician. Hmm um and this is definitely pre-code have you seen this one
0: i haven't seen it. i saw you posted it yesterday and i was like oh I'm sure i sure you're really gonna go haxon i was like oh she's gonna go haxon
1: <laughs> no but i will say this has a haxon scene in it okay um so the whole setup of this is that a magician is um he wants to do this like spell that like contacts the devil or something it does some type of crazy alchemy um and for it he needs the blood inside the still beating heart of a virgin um and so he becomes obsessed with this girl and has goes about all of this like crazy he spends most of the movie just stalking her trying to get to her so that he can you know hopefully abduct her and go take her back to his lab and tie her up and you know take the blood out of her still beating heart um and, and that's kind of the setup. And so most of the movie is spent as he is kind of trying to stalk her, seduce her. She's supposed to get married to this other dude um, and, and very much kind of trying to get into her world. So much of it is structured very much just like a stalky drama. But... After he does start to get near her, he is able to kind of like hypnotize her and then he takes her into this vision of hell when he's mm-hmm. when she's hypnotized. She goes into this vision of hell which is very Haxen. It's also very kind of like a Bosch hell painting. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's just all of these pan, like God creatures, um, just savaging women, drinking their blood, just doing all of this crazy stuff. And then one of them approaches her and she passes out and it savages her. And, um, and then she wakes up and she's like now hypnotized and in love with the magician and follows him back to his lair. And so the movie, there's not a lot to it, but it is worth it just for that one scene of hell. Um, which is really cool and very Haxson-esque. Like, I would be shocked if the filmmaker um, had not seen Haxon mm. in some capacity because it is so much just this grand scape, this, this landscape of just absolute debauchery. Is it American? Um, for this one moment. Yeah, it is, actually. Because okay.
0: Haxson's like Swedish or something.
1: So is up. Swedish, yeah. yeah. Um, Christensen, I can't remember. Oh,
0: Benjamin Christensen. Or. Benjamin Christensen, Christensen okay. that's
1: it. Um, but yeah, this one, it's a fascinating watch. If not, you can just even Google the magician hell scene and you Mm -hmm. can watch the hell scene, which is pretty, um, definitely Mm pre-code. Um, so yeah, uh, but this is a fun one. It's not quite as naked as Haxton is, but still some, some good stuff in it. And the makeup effects are really cool.
0: Nice. Um, okay. So the thirties, I think of when I think of the thirties, I definitely think of the universal titles, Mm -hmm. uh, and those creatures coming, um so i wanted to go a little astray from that but it's kind of in the world so carl freund made the mummy he also made this film which we gave a little shout out to when we were doing our body horror episode and that is from 1930 mad love uh Mm -hmm. which just remains one of the most you know it's peter it's one of the most committed performances i've ever seen peter laurie as this mad dr gogol um it it looks fantastic it's like 75 minutes it's nice and lean uh, and and Carl Freund was a cinematographer too, so it looks fantastic. Uh, it's in Paris. He's a doctor. He falls in love with this uh, famous actress, and he's uh, gutted when he finds out she's uh, she's married to a famous concert pianist. Uh, and it, this is there's also a film called Orlock's Hands, which is another version of the same story. Orlock
1: Hands is great, yeah,
0: which is good too. Yeah, and so his this character's name is Stephen Orlock, the pianist, and uh, when. Uh, When he's in a terrible train accident, his hands are crushed and she doesn't want to go to Gogol to ask for help because she knows how Gogol feels about her, but she's forced to and Gogol thinking it would be very funny to torture him to torture this guy pianist gives the hands of a uh, murderer. So attaches the hands of a murderer onto Orlac, which is obviously uh cue in some body parts uh, references, as you can imagine. Uh, he then starts to basically, uh, you know, taunt and try to possess uh, the object of his desire being the guy's wife. So, it, and then there's murders on the side and all sorts of stuff, but it's, it's really dark. It's really expressionistic. And like I said, I think Peter Laurie gives one of those performances that you'll never forget. Um, and it's fun because it's not quite like the uni- mainstream universal movies, but it feels in the universe it feels like that b movie that would be under on the second uh, part of a universal double bill mm-hmm. um so i like this one a lot
1: well i'm gonna leave stateside for my 1930s one and i'm headed to mexico mm-hmm. for 1933's the crying woman aka oh. la Llorona. Cool. um this is directed by raymond pan and i'm not familiar with his other work and I will not confess to be a a wizard when it comes to um, Mexican horror cinema of the 1930s I have seen two films out of Mexico from this time period and they are both absolutely breathtaking um and the crying woman La Rona is is honestly one of the most haunting films that I have ever seen. Like it is just a beautiful film and it is a shame that it does not get more attention as being kind of this this stall world of 1930s horror cinema. Um, It opens with a guy who is kind of killed by this supernatural entity. It's like this unseen entity. And then it smash cuts to like a kid's birthday party. And you see this shadowy figure kind of abduct this boy. And then she's trying to sacrifice it on this stone altar. It gets real dark real quick. Um, And there's this like knife and this stone and all of this kind of symbolism. And then you realize that it's a woman, like a monstrous woman who is about to kill the kid. And then it goes back in time and it goes back in time to like two different time periods. Um, one seems to be Elizabeth and I'm not sure about the other one um, explaining how the La Rona ghost came to be. And it literally goes through her backstory of losing her kids and the mm. whole story, um, which in itself is a horror story. And then it shoots back to present um, and continues on with the story, the makeup effects and what they do with the La Rona in this It's so much scarier than the one from Universal that came out like four years ago. Mm. Um, Like her face, the makeup effects in this, how they portray her ghostly presence, how she moves. It's amazing. Um, And this film feels huge. Like it definitely like production value, quality, um, the quality of how it's shot. It would give any of the Universal films of this same time period a strong run for their money. Um, The only other one out of Mexico from this time period I've seen, there was one that was a couple of years later called Two Monks, which is equally amazing. It's more of a murder mystery, Um, but it's the same, just like the super high quality, well made, really just great. Um, It feels like a big budget, like Universal Studio Film. And both of these films do not get enough play um, for all of the pioneering horror stuff that they were doing in the 1930s. Um, so definitely check out 1933's La Llorona, aka the Crying Woman.
0: I got this one last week, and I haven't watched it, so I'm very excited because uh, I've been on a kick of like late late 30s, 40s, and maybe early 50s Mexican horror. Seems to mm-hmm. all be the the ones I've watched so far have been have all been really interesting. So I'm
1: you need to go ahead and pick up Two Monks. Okay, yeah, it's really good. What was the last That's one? Really we t- we've
0: talked about a few of these on our um, Patreon. I, I know I the Black Pit of Doctor.
1: Z M- N- uh, or something. Z, yeah, that was one that. You uh, that was watched. one I
0: watched recently, and there was something else, but but either way, I have yet to like watch one that was a clunker. The have always been interesting and very atmospheric. Um, okay, cool. I got to watch that. Um, from 1940s, I think of you know, it's the post Universal cycle, but I can't get away from our uh, one of our favorite creators, Val luden But I'm going to surprise you, uh, by not picking maybe what you think I would. Um, I'm going to pick one that I think still is a little. Under-discussed and really atmospheric, and that is the Leopard Man. Oh, um,
1: you've d- talked about this. I don't think I've ever it, seen the. Leopard It's man.
0: finally got a Blu-ray, so so you'll be able to see it looking good. Um, this is Jacques Tenier again. So one of the guy made uh, one of our favorites, Night of the Demon, and many other great movies, including I think he no he didn't do Seven Figure. I think that's Robson. Uh, anyway, this one is. Um, I first heard maybe as Joe Dante talking about this one particular scene in this movie that really, honestly, could would become a staple that you would teach in class, but basically it's a really absurd idea. It's set in New Mexico. Uh, there is, what is, What are they? There's a nightclub performer and uh, somebody brings a, is it a well, leopard a black leopard to the town going oh we'll use it in our act but is it trained and no one really knows and like of course
1: burlesque or yeah, so
0: you don't really see the act so it's because okay. right at the start the leopard escapes it's it's there as a publicity gimmick it escapes into this town uh in new mexico and no one can find it but it's so everyone's kind of fearful that oh there's this escape le- black leopard and there's a scene where this little girl's having a fight with her mom and her mom, because she forgot to buy the flour for the tortillas, the mom's making. The mom says, "Well, go to the store if you hurry; it'll still be open." But it's night, and so this girl, you know, probably fifteen-year-old girl, goes down the street. She gets it, and it's all very atmospheric on the way there. It's all lots of dark darkness, and you know. And she gets the gets the flour, and when she comes back, she gets under this tunnel, and she sees the eyes of this leopard staring at her, and it's really. Like intense, but it's again, I don't really get scared of movies that have, you know, animals usually. Uh, And then suddenly there's this like uh, the train passes overhead and it's really just this very shocking kind of cut. She runs back, but because her mom and her had a fight, she's banging on the door saying, you know, let me in, let me in and we're inside with the mom, and the mom's like, okay, whatever, and then she starts screaming, and then it goes quiet, and as the mom gets the thing, blood starts coming under the door, and it's really one of the best sequences. I know it sounds spoiler, but it's right at the start of the movie. It is so well shot, and atmospheric, and and Ternier, if you ever see interviews with him he really talks about like he's not interested in graphic stuff he's interested in like you know as a little kid to get my christmas present, i had to go down a dark dark hallway and i always wondered what was in the dark he's obsessed with just what we can't see you know a very simple um horror and this movie just does it beautifully well and then it becomes a really weird movie where there's a bunch of killings in this town and everyone's blaming the escaped leopard because there's Claw marks on the victims and even hairs. But then somebody who's part of that original nightclub thing, he's like, you know what? What if somebody's just using this as a cover? To commit murders so it's kind of almost a killer storyline that starts to emerge and then it, it becomes a really kind of as a great set piece at the end that i won't ruin, and it's just really atmospheric and again like all the he's got a bunch of movies from this period that are all fantastic but when we're talking deep cuts i feel like this one i still don't like me and you have obviously talked about a couple of them quite a lot because we mm-hmm. love them but this one could still get used an extra leg up i think um so i'm gonna use that as my 40s leopard man
1: well, guess what? I'm doing some Valutin too, and I am doing the one that you thought yeah, I would yeah. talk about because it's great. Because <laughs> I will, I will preach this title till the Me day. Me too. I it's
0: die. one of my favorite. It <laughs> is my favorite of his movies. So.
1: Yeah, it just does not get enough love. Um, and that is the seventh victim from nineteen forty-three. This that one doesn't far. have a
0: Blu-ray yet, so good it reason doesn't. to keep pushing, you know.
1: Yeah. This one, it's by far my fave Val Luton, like everybody, you know, wants to go cat people. Um, but no, the seventh victim is is definitely my jam. Um, it is about a girl who um travels to New York City to try to find her sister. Her sister has gone missing. And when she gets there, um, what she finds is that her sister is running from a satanic cult that she used to be a part of. And she um, is is considering suicide. She's going through depression um, and is considering suicide. And plus, this cult is pursuing her and wants her dead as well. And that is kind of where it picks up. The whole thing is set in Soho in West Village, New York um in the uh 1940s and so it's really atmospheric um, it's not it's not West Village that we think of now where we think like really shishi and bougie. Um it's it's a much kind of different vibe that's happening in New York at this time period there. And so it is very much kind of like an artist, more beatnik backstreets quality that you're seeing in it. Um, and just the cinematography across the board is just so good. This one I love because it really blends kind of the noir style. With the horror element that we are kind of bringing in Satanist. And I also I always like this one because it is one of the first really early horror movies that I can remember that is directly about mental illness and they talk about it in it like I don't remember other like in 1950s cinema you didn't hear people talking about depression as an illness as a disease that you could suffer from. Um, Hysteria was used a lot, but not depression as like a clinical diagnosis. And that's what this movie is about. And it's not like a judgy thing. It's just like, oh, she's suffering from depression. And And she also has the
0: best hair ever.
1: The best hair. Oh my God. She has this gorgeous like 1940s, like straight bang cut that I would just look ridiculous. I always think about getting that cut and then I'm like, I will look silly. But it's like Betty Page bangs. Yeah. Um, she is just gorgeous and glows on screen the entire time. It has this gorgeous kind of gothic vamp quality to it. Um, at the same time with the setting and everything. Um, I've showed this to classes before, and I'm always excited when 20-year-olds are like, wow, this actually cut it, you know slaps or whatever mm-hmm. the kids are saying these days um so it fucks yeah. this movie fucks it doesn't um, really, so yeah.
0: first and then it fucks but, no, it, doesn't it, fucks. Lo- but it no it's um. it's also got uh normalization something that we'd see a lot more in the 70s and and obviously rosemary's baby i i mean i think this pairs perfectly with rosemary's for obvious reasons the setting and the Satanist, but it's uh, to normalize the Satanist, to make them these normal high high you know like wealthy uh yep. people not weird not weirdos uh try who are who have nothing trying to bring in Satan these are well off people they're New
1: Yorkers yeah they're just New Yorkers it's a
0: very different approach to that that obviously yeah. became the kind of the norm in the 70s so I really dig that one too so
1: yeah very good um so that is 1943's The Seventh Victim this is um produced by Val Lewton but directed by Mark Robson. Mark Robson. yep
0: so Another goodie. Okay, so that's a good decade. Uh, 1950s is, you know, this is where it got hard because there's so many movies mm-hmm. in the 50s. Um, and it just, you could you could spend an eternity looking, a lot of great sci-fi horror obviously emerges during this period. Um, but I picked one that I saw at a all-nighter a uh, f- good few years ago. Um, Phil, I think Phil Blankenship programmed this one right in the middle of one of the new Bev all-nighters and has since, I know I think you like this one. I think Brian likes this one. Uh, it's called I Bury the Living.
1: Are you um, fucking serious? That's mine.
0: What? Hey, we're gonna. see That's good. <laughs>
1: well, saving time. Um, oh, I didn't so realize yeah. that. Yeah, Albert. Nineteen so fifty-eight. I bury the living.
0: Char- Char- uh, Charlie Bann Senior. Uh, yeah, this is when I started. Th- I had never even heard of this when I popped up in the middle of an all-nighter, and I was totally captivated because it was like it was like a great episode of Twilight Zone, but yep. darker, and it had an idea in it that I've never seen before or since, which is that there's this big map. Uh, at a, um, what are you, at a grave? Cemetery.
1: It's a cemetery. Uh, yeah,
0: like so a direct, a new cemetery director, and it has this giant map of all the plots, and all the people have obviously bought future plots because you have to plan for where your family's going to be, and they all are meant to have white uh, pins in them because they have not been used, right? Because they're, they're still o- not occupied, but they have been bought. And at some point, he accidentally places a black pin on one of them and the person the next day dies, or family mm-hmm. dies in a car accident, and he then starts do running tests to see if this, you know, dark coincidence holds up. And more people start to die, uh, so he starts to believe uh, that there is some sort of curse on here, which which is super captivating. And the way it goes down, and it's and it's a, the map itself is really eerie. Yeah, I think uh, I did read in the IMDb that as the map gets more control over him, that they made the map
1: bigger and bigger bigger. which is really cool there's a dream sequence where it's literally the size of the wall like it's huge Mm. and it's so cool and they really use um that map with the cinematography Mm -hmm. how he's constantly kind of photographed with it and how the map is shot is really cool but yeah the map does get slowly bigger throughout the course of the movie which is really awesome also has a really great soundtrack I always really like the soundtrack in this
0: one. Yeah, and and it also has a it, you know once cuz basically at a certain point he tries to reverse the process and then there's suddenly bodies missing from graves. So you can imagine where his mind goes and that's where it gets I think really atmospheric. We won't tell you how it wraps up, but yeah. if we're both telling you that
1: it's out good. of the
0: 1000 horror movies from the 1950s, we both choose I Buried Living, it might be worth checking out.
1: And this one um, was recommended to me when, uh, back when I was starting out at Fangoria, I was doing coverage on, God, I can't even remember the movie it was, um, but there was a movie coming out, this would have been like mid-2000s, that was set in a graveyard. Uh-huh. And so I was doing an article for the Fango website at the time on best films set in graveyards. And so it was like Cemetery Man, yeah. um, you know, Boneyard, things like that. And I remember Tony Timpone saying that the best of the best was I Bury the Living. You need to watch it for the article. Mm. And so I did. And he was right.
0: Yeah. That's always the best way to discover some of these.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. No, this one's really cool. And also cool to pick something with Twilight Zone vibes, given that yeah. the 50s, I think that works pretty well as we enter into the 60s, which also has those kind of vibes. Um, all right. So 1960s. Um, well, why don't we reverse it now that we just shared one? Now you can start going first. We can.
1: We can. Okay. Talk. Well, I had a couple of runner ups for this one, but the one that I ended up going with just because I still feel it needs more love. I I don't think I've talked about this title since maybe like the second episode of Killer POV. So it's been a decade. The Tower of Screaming Virgins from Mm -hmm. 1968. No one has fucking seen this film. I have not seen this film. Yeah. Um, and the, it's under the title, The Tower of Screaming Virgins. There's also a German title. And then the other translation title is She Lost Her You Know What is the um, the other title that is sometimes released under. So this is nice. It's called She Lost
0: Her You Know What? Or are you just winking at me saying, you know what?
1: No, because I'm totally embarrassed to say the word virginity. No, I'm oh. kidding. It's, it's under the title, She really? Lost Her You-Know-What. Oh Do God. I ever fucking mince my words? No, but <laughs> the way you said
0: it, I was like, I actually thought that's what you meant. That's so funny. No,
1: no, that's, that's the, okay. the actual release okay. title um, her, in some territories where you, She Lost Her You-Know-What, which makes no goddamn sense in the movie whatsoever, yeah. but I'll get to that in a sec. So this is a German-France-Italian horror sex film that was shot in Hungary, So by all accounts, this should be like total fucking Euro trash. It somehow is not. It is all of the kind of standard um, notes of Euro trash, but it is all over the place. It is a period piece um, about the King Louis of France and his queen, Queen Marguerite. King Louis is off um, doing something. And while he is gone, Queen Marguerite is reigning over Paris. And all of a sudden, everybody in the town suddenly starts saying, hey, have you noticed there's a lot of young men missing? We had a lot more strapping young lads yesterday. And then all of these bodies start coming up. They start finding them along the riverbanks and everything. Um, And they're suddenly like, holy shit, someone in town is killing all of these strapping young 18-year-olds. And what you find out really quickly is that the queen and like three other women from her court are holding these like massive nightly orgies where they like get crazy hot and heavy with all of these strapping young dudes from town. So they're just like going down, inviting all these like young guys up there, having these crazy orgies. And then as soon as the sun rises, they kill them all. Mm. (laughs) And um, so it is just the sleaziest concept. Yet it is also a swashbuckling musketeer film. There's all of these like swashbuckling sword fights. It's a murder mystery as the like constables in the town are trying to figure out who's killing all the guys. Um, it's somehow also really pornish because they really push the whole orgy thing. It's gory. Like it really goes for the gore when they they do these like mass killings in the morning. And somehow um, the queen and her other females that are doing this, it's very much like a vampiric witch vibe they've got going on hmm. um, that they almost seem kind of like succubuses throughout this whole thing. There is so much stuff going on here. So it's not Euro trash. It's fucking complicated. Um, but this is just a wild movie. Um, and it drags at times. Like for me, the swashbuckling stuff, like I can watch about 30 seconds of a sword fight yeah. um, before I'm like, cool, rapier, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I'm out. And some of the, the swashbuckling stuff goes on for eons um but it's all worth it for like the weird sleazy orgy vampiric witchy sex parties kill them all at 6 a.m type stuff um and so yeah it's it's a fun film it just um recently within the last couple of i want to say year or so got a nicer blu-ray release which i have not seen before this was one that was super hard to find like i still have an old bootleg of it um that I'm fairly sure was taped from a VHS copy. But yeah, I think it just got a Blu-ray recently. What's the title again? The
0: Screaming Tower of... Tower
1: of Screaming Virgins. And note, the virgins are dudes, which is why the title... She Lost Her You-Know-What makes no goddamn sense, but that's also one of the titles.
0: Okay. Uh, I will not watch it under that title. Um, All right. Well, my my one that I'm not picking, but you have to watch if you haven't seen it, but we talked about it too much recently is Burn Witch Burn is just the greatest. One of my favorite discoveries the last couple of years from the 60s, a highest recommendation there. That's um, great.
1: It's the, also under the title Night of the Eagle. Night
0: of the Eagle, yeah. But uh the other one I probably would have gone with is El Demoni that we just mentioned in our Severin commercial, because that's been impossible to see until now. You're gonna get to see it as part of that box set. But I'm gonna go with another favorite of mine. I think of um I tend to think of Hammer during this period, and this is like the uh again, kind of like the B hammer that less people talk about, but it's more atmospheric, I think, than any other movies, and that is the ultra kinky, ultra dark. Whip in the Body. Oh. Uh, Mario Bava. This one, I just keep coming back to it. Uh, there's something about it. It, it. So, the cool thing is the star of Demon, the movie we're talking about, uh, she's mm-hmm. the star of this movie, Dahlia Lavi. Uh, Christopher Lee um, is basically a very sadistic, very. Uh, he's the estranged brother who used to be in a relationship with a woman in uh, in this small town. And, you know, he's kind of the son who leaves. Uh, they're, they're noblemen in this very well off in this town. His brother ends up being, I think, uh, engage, engaged to her because he left town and everyone thinks he's gone permanently. He did something to burn bridges with the family. And then, of course, he cruises back into town and tries to take back over. And she, you know, is drawn to him and is into being whipped by him. And when it gets to that part, you're like, it's pretty shocking. I've got to say, it still feels shocking. Because she's, she is into it and he is into it. And they are, she can't kind of quit him and can't quit this uh, this feeling she gets with him that she is not getting from the other guy. And so it's really kinky right up into the point where somebody murders him to get rid of him because of his perversity. But that's a mistake because then the movie, I just think the movie is incredible from this part on. He starts coming back as a ghost and doing the exact same stuff. And it is really atmospheric. The colors become full Bava esque at that point you get amazing greens and reds and you get footprints and he's coming you know he's coming back into her room and there's just something incredibly atmospheric perverse haunting and just you watch this and go this was a massive hit in italy apparently um just like lit lit theaters on fire and so um, it's always exciting when something as kinky as this does that and this is like 63 so it's early 60s um and it's a really cool movie uh it was actually um the producer of Tales from the Hood, Darren, um, Darren what? Scott, Darren Scott, who way back on Killer BV, way, way, oh. way
1: back. He
0: said this was his, almost his favorite movie of all time, and I hadn't seen it yet. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, okay, because he's a big hammer guy. Um, and I checked it out way back then, and it's because of him that I've kind of got this love for this movie. So mm. a very, very atmospheric and well-made one, and pretty edgy, too.
1: Wow,
0: not my kind of romance, but you know I'm not going <laughs> to shame uh, Christopher Lee. So.
1: I'm more into a tower of screaming virgins. Obviously, type, yeah, like obviously,
0: you're into getting all the dudes. That's from my town jam, and then killing them <laughs> when the sun comes up.
1: Yeah, I hear so, you. Um, moving into the 1970s, I almost picked Mephisto's Waltz. Oh. I ended up saying that's a really good movie, oh, but. Yeah. Um, I ended up going with The Car from 1971, cool. um, just because this movie makes me smile every single time. Like, I just find this movie to be so fascinating. It is a desert town, and it, the desert town is being completely terrorized by a car, a single car. It is a Lincoln Continental. Um, and so it goes about the sheriff trying to figuring out who is driving this car. Why are they driving this car? They're chasing people down. They're running people over. They're running people off the road. They're, you know, just causing havoc. And, and the body count in this is surprisingly high. Um, and I know that setup sounds hilariously silly, that it's just a Lincoln Continental driving around the town, basically fucking with folks um, and then running some people over. But somehow this movie is so effective. It is structured very much like Jaws, where the story is in James Brolin, who plays the sheriff of the town, trying to figure it out. Um, I love this the opening scene of this movie because he is um, going to work on his motorcycle and he throws both of his kids on the motorcycle without helmets on and drives them to school. Yeah. And I'm like, can I do that? Yeah. Um, you can't. But yeah, so um, this is directed by Elliot Silverstein, who also did Cat Baloo and and a a ton of Twilight Zone episodes. Um, But somehow, yeah, it's Jaws. It's structured and feels very much like Jaws, but in this really um, atmospheric, quirky and fun town um, with James Brolin and a Lincoln Continental. Yeah, I was I, I was In shocked at how
0: good that was when I started because <laughs> I always thought it'd be really dumb. And, it's, and, and the way the car gets so revved up and angry and you feel its emotions throughout the movie, it's really, it's really clever. And you know who's driving that car? It's Guillermo del Toro are you serious well apparently now he owns the car so he wasn't driving it back then but i think now I've heard, he owns the i've car. heard he either owns that exact one or a replica i have heard that so because being a collector but anyway you know
1: i've heard that this was like a really influential film for him it so makes sense. That's- I mean,
0: honestly it's it's a really cool movie yeah um so if if you haven't seen it my my pick for the 70s this is my like bigger one but I'm, i think oh
1: i'm yeah. sorry quick correction james brolin does not play the sheriff he plays the chief deputy. He is the main um, guy, yeah. though. He's the lead. He's the main guy, yeah. yeah. He's the lead through the whole thing. And
0: one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills is his daughter. I think the same one from Halloween, maybe, when she was a little girl. Um, oh,
1: apparently RJ Armstrong gets run over.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. He uh. always gets killed in the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yes, okay. So if, if you from the 70s, if you have never seen uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, oh, you, nice should, one. you should. But well, that's not my pick. But it would be my favorite of the lesser known stuff from the 70s. So I'm just telling people, watch it if you haven't seen it. But I've talked about that too recently on 70s. So I'm going with actually a really deep cut that we both uh, dig. And I think it's one of the most atmospheric horror films I've seen in the last Mm -hmm. few years. And that is called Night of the Devils. Um, The one it's from like, it's like spanish italian uh Mm -hmm. director giorgio ferroni from 72 and this is a Verdulac uh story which is something that i know luton also wrote a, a Verdulac story at one point but it's uh it starts with this guy he's in hospital and you know people think he's lost his mind and he starts recounting what happened to him and it goes he's basically driving through the countryside um i'm not sure if it's like in i think it's like Hung- no, Yugoslavia he's driving through a Yugoslavian forest and he crashes his car he needs to get help and he finds this family who live in this house in the middle of nowhere and it's a Tolstoy story based on a Tolstoy story um, the same one that Black Sabbath by Bava's uh, uh, based on but it's told Ooh. differently um, and he goes in with this family and they say you can stay here but they're all terrified of things like anything outside the house and he doesn't understand what and as it comes down, what you find is that they're terrorized of, of somebody coming back, somebody who has recently died from their family coming back for them, because the Vurdalak is basically a twist of a vampire, like it's their version of vampire, Eastern European vampire who only will drink the blood of its loved ones only, mm. and try to then convert them to be like them, in, in really convincing and emotional ways and it's it's really creepy, it's actually scary at times, they, the way they look, and of course person by person starts to get um, kind of taken out of this family. And he's right in the middle of all of this as it's going. And it it kind of uh, culminates in a really, you know a sequence where he has to deal with lots of different people like this and it's it's kind of it's just got this vibe it's one of those movies where you're while you're watching you and I can't remember how I started. I think I, I literally think I stumbled upon it maybe two years ago when we were first starting deep cuts or maybe right before that and it really left an impression so I, I just kind of quickly watched the trailer again and I was like yeah this this is a good one to recommend because it's I feel like it's got imagery like a Bava thing or something or Bava and Fulci even at mm. times but then it's also doing its own thing kind of a classical story and with the um, with the Tolstoy adaptation and oh, I'm realizing here that, oh, I did not know this. I, it, I just in cut and paste notes that I made, it looks like Carlo Rimbaldi did the effects.
1: Oh, whoa. That I did just not got know way that. cooler. Yeah.
0: I did not know that. And there's nothing in it that would have told me that except that I had good effects, but he is, we've been talking about him because of possession this week and um, Cameron's closet we we're talking about. And we talked mm-hmm. about E.T. E.T. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I do think if somebody's looking for something just super uh, atmospheric, From that period, I think this could be a fun one. And I believe it just got a decent release. I think what I watched wasn't as good as what might have just come out. That is Night of the Devils.
1: Nice. Um, Okay, so we're bumping into the 1980s. I will say I had runner-ups here of Edge of Sanity just because I really like that Mm -hmm. Perkins film and nobody else has seen it. Um, There's nothing out there. The Ralph Konefsky film, Mm -hmm. I always think, is underseen and really fun and and a great predecessor to um, Cabin in the Woods. But the one that I ended up wanting to talk about is because it is now available for streaming. And for the longest time, this film was near impossible to see. And that is Bernard Rose's Paper House oh. from 1988. Um, this is Bernard Rose before Candyman. I've heard that this is the film that like got him mm. Candyman, um, which makes sense timeline wise. Paper House is really small. It feels like an indie, almost like an A24 production, but in 1988. So it fit with nothing that was coming out around this time period. Um, And so it had like a really limited release. And I don't think I even saw it until probably two decades later, maybe like in college or young adult. I I came across a VHS copy of it and saw it. Um, The setup is it's a sick girl. Um, a kid who is very, very sick and she has this really high fever and her family doesn't know if she's going to make it and she's in a hospital. And she does these like crazy fever dream drawings in the hospital. And every night when she falls asleep in the hospital, she's dreaming of this boy, this boy who is trying, he's begging her to help her. Um, They end up becoming really good friends. There's this like crazy house in it um, that she realizes is from one of her drawings, like parts of her drawings have come real in these dreams and there's this boy who is is constantly trying to run from this monster from this thing and she um she wakes back up a, a couple of days later after having these dreams and the hospital staff is talking about the little boy and she realizes that the little boy is real and he's another patient in the hospital who is also fighting for his life and um and it's chilling And then, you know, how they move back and forth from the dreamscape to reality and how she's drawing to try to include things in her dreams to help save them both from the monsters they're fighting. It is a kid's story, but there is no fucking way I'd show this to my kids. It Mm -hmm. is dark. Um, It is really dark and really heavy. This movie is beautiful and it's small, but it is the sets using the kids drawings and everything. It is just so dark and delicately woven. Like it is just a beautifully told story and really just heartfelt and tragic and terrifying. Like there are scenes when the kids are running from the the thing um, that is just absolutely horrifying. This one right now is streaming on Amazon's channel, the BB uh, or BFI classics channel, Hmm. and you can get seven days for free. So I figure that while you can see paper house for free, you need to do it because this is one that like people would go on like crazy quests to find um, a decade ago. So the fact that it's currently streaming on Amazon effectively for free is amazing.
0: And I think I, I don't know because I've only seen this back in the VHS era. And so I've never seen it look that good. But I believe that it has just been restored and stuff. So I'm hoping that this is the nice, fancy looking version because I should see it again.
1: Yeah, It. Okay. it Definitely deserves a rewatch. Um, this is one that I—it I, stuck with me.
0: And I a director who cool. deserves a budget again. I, I, he's been making indie stuff the last like decade or more, yeah. and it's like he made *Immortal Beloved*, *Candyman* and paper. this guy can clearly make a big movie look gorgeous yeah. and ravishing and all that so yeah so we should get him on the show he he would be great would he's he, he's la based now and so it would be possible
1: oh my gosh would be yeah.
0: Super interesting okay from 1980s uh, i will surprise no one with this one this is probably my uh you know outside of position obviously but my favorite kind of discovery of this probably from this decade of uh 80s Films that now is available on Blu-ray. But people still aren't talking about it. And it's fun. And you can see its influence in a lot of movies. And that is Soul Survivor um directed by tom it's just weird to me people still beyond people like in our circle who have now seen it but outside of that this is still a film with no profile and it is so atmospheric and it's so clearly an influence on things this is tom eberhardt who uh best known for night of the comet but even more importantly captain ron Mm -hmm. um you can't go wrong with captain ron and this movie is not like either of those uh this is a very serious very atmospheric very dark the two films it's most like is well three it's basically final destinations plot with M- Messiah of evil visuals and an it follows tone it's those kind of things all mixed up so if any of them appeal this is the movie for you it's this Anita Skinner is uh, she's an actress and she or she works at a TV station she is in a plane crash where she is the sole survivor. She's the only one left untouched. She's sitting in her chair. It's a great visual. She's just like sitting still locked into her chair, but her chair is, you know, in a otherwise completely destroyed uh, in her seat, rather in in an otherwise destroyed um, airplane. And uh, something has decides you can't cheat death. um, Sound familiar? And it starts sending its minions, which is anyone who has recently deceased, starts coming for her in these very atmospheric sequences that will totally remind you of it follows it's almost the exact vibe of it follows but with an obvious you know final destination twist here this movie's so atmospheric it it, there's just something about it and uh the producers just kind of got screwed when it came out it got totally uh they got a bad contract. They basically lost control. It got sold out. And if you read the story, that's why it didn't have a higher profile. People will mm-hmm. recognize the videotape cover because it's a cool skull thing on one of those, um, what are they called, that people watch when a plane's in the air. You're The people in the oh, control center um, are yeah. watching the green the-
1: the control tower yeah
0: the control tower tracking thing um but this movie is again like i said it, it's just weird that it isn't on every best of the 80s list because it deserves to be um you know it's not perfect but it's it's really a hidden gem still so i'll keep bringing it up until everyone has seen it That soul survivor one of my faves i'm not sure if the blu-ray is still in circulation because it was a code red one but um well worth uh hunting for
1: excellent Okay, that takes us to the 1990s. We only have 3 decades left. I hope you guys have been writing all this <laughs> down. I'm sure somebody's going to make a letterbox list. Um so for all of these, um just cuz these are so many just amazing deep cuts that were thrown out, but for 1990s, I will say I debated popcorn. I debated the South Korean film The Cure or just Cure. It's just Kurosawa, Cure. Kiyoshi um, Kurosawa. I don't remember who did Cure. If it, um is
0: it the same does it look like the same person who did pulse and all that
1: it is the same person okay who that's pulse, yeah he might be japanese oh, it may be I'm japanese a, oh my gosh i am so sorry so. So,
0: but they're both making great cinema around that same period so
1: yeah that was another really good one um so but the one that i ended up going with is the nameless from 1999 because mm. this is another one that no one has fucking seen yeah. that i'm still like how has no one seen is that it? spanish um, yes this is a spanish mm-hmm. film um it's in english so yeah yeah. You, yeah it's not subtitled as much as i remember there may have been a couple characters that were um but i'm gonna say this gentleman's name wrong um who may baggy yeah who did wreck um mm-hmm. so this is the guy who did wreck before he did wreck
0: um, i actually have a feeling that first name might even be pronounced something like Jame. You know what I James. mean? It looks like Wom, but it, I think it's actually James.
1: Yeah, it does. It looks like yeah. Um, So, uh, yes. But the, the gentleman, um, the very talented guy who did Wreck, before he did Wreck, yeah. made a film in 1999 called The Nameless. And this film is by no means flawless, but at the same time, it's really good. There's, uh, if you watch it too much, I've seen it a good number of times. There's some plot holes. Um, but you know what? It's still, it's really atmospheric. And it's definitely one that after I watched it the first time, it stuck to my bones. Hmm. And I was thinking about it a couple of days later. Hmm. The setup is that um, this mom, her five year old, has been abducted and she's freaking out. And this is all in the cold open. And all of a sudden the police recover these body parts and it's only body parts. They've all been very mutilated and they're able to identify it as her daughter through a bracelet and, and a thing that she has on her leg. And so they're kind of like, okay, it's your daughter fast forward. Now many, many decades, like she has just accepted her daughter was, was tragically and brutally killed at six years old years, decades have passed all of a sudden out of nowhere. She gets a phone call from someone that's saying saying that she is her daughter and she has been kidnapped by these people that have had her for the last like tw- 10, 15 years or it's not even that long. It's yeah, maybe 10 years um, that she is. She's been with this this group for the last 10 years and that if the mom does not come find them right now, they're going to kill her. And so mom out of nowhere at first is like, who the fuck is this? Quit messing with me. And then after the girl calls back again and says, mom, you've got to come get me. They're going to kill me. Then mom suddenly says, "Okay, I've got to get more people involved she goes to the police. She also goes to, I'll call it like a a parapsychology reporter um, who's kind of investigating like psychic phenomenon and things like that. Um, And the two of them kind of join her on this journey to go find out what this group is. And if this person who keeps calling her is truly her daughter, this movie gets so fucked up. Now, even greater, it's based on a Ramsey Campbell novel yeah. called The Nameless, a Ramsey Campbell novel called The Nameless, which is super twisted. After I saw the movie, I went wreck and read the book, and the book mm. is even more fucked up. Yeah. Um, but again, this this movie stayed with me. There's just something haunting about it, and where it goes, and the message, and the point of the group, and how it gets there. There's just a lot of just really dark, like stabs you deep type stuff that I took with me. Um, It's like almost like a kill list level of like that kind of hurt my soul a little bit. This definitely is not kill list. Don't let me say that. Um, But I will say, whereas kill list like damages your soul and you're still thinking about it weeks later this dents your soul and you're still kind of puzzling it 48 hours later. Mm. Um, So again, not flawless, but definitely it hits. It hits in parts Um, and really atmospheric. Like very clear, this guy was a filmmaker back then and knew what he was doing. Um, So that is The Nameless from 1999.
0: I've definitely seen that, but I didn't recall any of that plot. So I need to see it again. Um, Okay, my favorite from the 90s is also one that I just think in this country is still way underseen. It kind of takes place in 94 and 97. What could possibly do that? Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, which this is such, I don't think there's a good Blu-ray out there, so that might be part of the reason, but this thing is so good. And I just heard, I didn't know this when I picked it, and I'm very excited. He is making a third part this year.
1: So, so we're
0: talking 20 something years later, he's going back to the kingdom for a third because apparently they tried to make a third season back in the day, but then uh, the main doctor died or something. So he, he lost interest and moved on. But anyway, this is really atmospheric, really all over the place. I think it's, it's basically in set in the most modern uh, Danish hospital. That's like the cutting edge hospital in Denmark. And it's, it's where you go for any of the complicated procedures, but it just started, So happens that at night, everyone also thinks it has got a, uh, uncanny occurrences and hauntings are happening there's an ambulance that doesn't have a driver that pulls in there's a young girl whose uh you voice you hear in strange occurrences uh and then best of all and one of the greatest scenes ever filmed in celluloid there is a pregnant doctor whose fetus keeps getting fat bigger and bigger to an unnatural state and then you get to meet Udo Kier in one of the okay. greatest Udo Kier moments of, of the world
1: I may this may be fever dream, but I I did not see the kingdom since the '90s when yeah. it first came out. Is there a hedgehog in the basement?
0: Uh, a
1: giant hedgehog?
0: I think I can't bird? recall that, but it might be related to what's happening with Udo in this story. Because okay, Udo emergence is pretty wild. Um, okay,
1: so, that might be what, again, people two dream.
0: Yeah, there's two kids with the narrators, kind of like the Greek chorus, are two children with Down syndrome who are both washing dishes the entire film and giving you yes. story plots. Um, it, it's
1: And it's set... There's a swamp that is made of bleach it, that surrounds it, it, right? Yeah, it kind of surrounds it. Okay. And you cut
0: to that as kind of it's almost the core stuff, which sounds weirder because most of us shot kind of almost like Dogma, like a lot of the Dogma films where it's kind of realistic and like you kind of you see these uh, all these kind of Swedish doctors blowing off steam and doing crazy things but then it goes into these really dark and it feels kind of like black magic stuff like at times where you feel like, oh, this feels a little evil, um, which I think Buncher did in Antichrist as well really well. Um, I just can't recommend it enough. When I first and i think it was when i first was going to uh i think it was two thousand when i saw it when i caught up to it and it really unnerved me and it just was everything i was looking for and i'm kind of due for a rewatch of the whole thing um but trust me great to dive in and still totally underrated uh and weird and the fact that we might get more of it this year is very exciting to me so and america if you've seen the stephen king then took the rights to it and put out some american very slick tv show called the kingdom yeah nothing not even in the same universe of of the way it feels yeah so don't think you've seen it if that's what you've
1: seen Okay, we're into the 2000s. We're getting more contemporary.
0: More familiar here, probably. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so I almost picked My Little Eye, which is always Uh, one of my faves. I absolutely love that British film. Um, Coming Soon, which is a Thai film um, about a ghost that haunts a film that I think is really tight. I've never seen that. Really good scare scenes. It's not available here, oh. um, I, and I'm not sure why, but it, it never really had a stateside release. Like I have the Thai Blu-ray of it, but um, yeah, it's it's really got some good scare mm. scenes. It needs a release here. But I ended up going with The Thaw from 2009, which was definitely kind of a disregarded, you mm. know, oh cheesy horror film. And I really liked this, both on a kind of you know, Becca likes her bug horror type capacity, but it's a good film. Um, So this is 2009. It's got Val Kilmer in it as long Hmm. as, um, along with Aaron Ashmore. This Hmm. is one of his earlier films. Um, It is about a research expedition in the Arctic um, that is, they're investigating the melting polar ice caps. Hmm. And you figure this is like 20 years ago that they were 10 um, years ago. And so they're, they're in the Arctic. It's got a big kind of global warming overarching plot line where it's like everything's melting and as they're investigating these melting polar ice caps they find this frozen woolly mammoth this massive woolly mammoth that has now been completely exposed because of the melt Hmm. and they start taking tissue samples and and really kind of researching this woolly mammoth and what they expose inside of the woolly mammoth is a parasite that no a skin parasite That no longer exists in our time period because it fed on woolly mammoths and went extinct with them. But now that the polar ice caps have melted, this parasite has been unleashed and is being passed amongst the research team. Hmm. This is a real creepy crawly movie. Um, It's very kind of the Bay-esque, but set in the Arctic. And I fell in love with this movie when it came out, and it just has never gotten enough love. But if you love your bug heart, if you love kind of the creepy crawly, like what's that under my skin type movies, The Thaw is an absolute trip from 2009.
0: Yeah, I have not seen that one. The cover looks vaguely familiar, but I... I feel like I totally missed it because the Val Kilmer of it, I didn't realize. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, mine's far less uh, obscure than that one, but I think it's, it might be now my favorite movie of the 2000 on the rewatch. First time I saw it, I just thought it was solid. It also ties very much into the Becca and Elric lore because it was the first <laughs> film that I had an import of that I brought over to your house Right, not far after we saw possession, we watched The Loved Ones.
1: The Loved Ones. And, oh, and, yeah. and
0: I hadn't seen it since then till last year when I was doing the all night planning an all nighter for pure cinema. And when I rewatched this movie, it rips so hard. It, it was like, I was just like sitting there going, Wow, how is this not the movie of this decade? And how is yeah. Sean Byrne not like making way more movies? Um, it's just, you know, it really nails this. Uh, the Obsession storyline, and the the kind of female psycho, which you, you know we don't i often don't necessarily believe some of the movies where you're watching oh, okay sure we're just taking a man's quality and flipping it to make the psycho character this character of lola and this feels completely original yes. and and disturbing and she's you know she's jilted she asks a good-looking surfer looking guy at school who's having some problems because he had an accident the year before and his dad was killed in the accident and so he's kind of you know he's k- kind of a little bit more internal she asks him to the school dance and he turns her down because he's got a girlfriend and you can tell it meant a lot to her to even pluck up the courage. But what we will soon find out is that her and her uh, her twisted and d- devoted uh, father uh, have created, they basically take him uh, hostage in a series of events uh, and are going to force him to have their own version of the ball at her i call it the ball you call it the the dance or whatever what what do you prom. call it? prom we in new zealand australia we call it i
1: think ball. it's yeah I, it's structured kind of like a homecoming or
0: prom. yeah it's like a am and and they're going to do it at their house and we find out he's not the first and it's really fucked up it's like each yeah. 20 minutes there's some other layer to the movie that, re- and, and the color palette pops and feels like it, it just is one of those movies. I don't think I fully appreciate it the first time I liked it that first time we watched it, mm-hmm. but I didn't love it. And the last time I watched it, I was like, this is, this is fantastic and much easier to see now. Like, I know it's on Amazon and I know most of our listeners, you know, who are into horror probably know it most probably have seen it but i bet you it feels still like a bit of an outlier for being classic which it does oh yeah use. um this it's really it took
1: a long time to yeah, come out here did. like that was i remember that that was why you had brought the copy over and we watched it at my house um because like you had a multi-region
0: ago. dvd player that's why i
1: had a multi-region yeah. and you'd picked up an australian yeah. and it was not available yet so yeah
0: yeah Thanks. really cool movie though if you haven't seen it
1: Okay, so we are into the 2010s Our and this is month. where we will yeah. stop because we decided 2020 we've only had for two years. So yeah. we, we figured that, you know, there are some deep cuts here, yeah, but later. we figure we'll we'll get those Plus later. this is
0: 100 years, not yeah. 110 years. So let's, you know.
1: And plus any deep cuts that have come out in the last two years, we've probably talked about on some show recently. It, yeah. um, so for my 2010s deep cut, I actually screened this at Jump Cut, Um, and this is Inhuman Resources from 2012. Was I there? Yeah. I don't remember the movie. This is when Fangoria um, was doing a DVD series um, with, I think it was Brain Media, and it, it, we did like a really small run of like eight DVDs. Um, and this was one of the first ones out. This is one of the ones that I got to acquire. Like I was super excited because it was one of the first films that I actually got to do like part of the acquisition process. Which was really cool. Um, this is it's an Australian film. Um, and I know you saw it because it stars bad boy Bubby.
0: Oh, Nick Hope. Nicholas uh, Hope is his name.
1: Uh, yeah, Nicholas Hope. Um, which is how after you, you let me screen it at Jump Cut when Wait, Dango what's the title again? In
0: human
1: human Resources.
0: I can only see of oh, one from 20 to uh, tw- oh I see 20 it changed its name on Letterbox they're calling it Red
1: Red Ink yeah oh, okay. it was I think when it was actually originally released it was Red Ink and then they changed the name to Inhuman uh, Resources during the release process um, and so the concept is that Nicholas Hope plays this guy that everyone thinks is this crazy serial killer, this absolutely just wild serial killer um, who off ha- people's heads like that's his M.O. is he, he cuts people's heads off. And the movie opens with this girl um, not too far from where we are now doing mm-hmm. an online job interview via something like zoom and she um is struggling and really not feeling it and hating she's interviewing for some office position and is just kind of like miserable and then um as soon as she gets off the interview she takes off her top and you realize that she's having to work as a cam girl because she can't Mm -hmm. find anything else like it's it's definitely um got some layers to it and then she gets kidnapped And she wakes up and she is in this basement office with all of these file cabinets. And she and six other people have been kidnapped and chained to a table with all of these files around them. Hmm. And the gentleman who was charged as being this vicious serial killer, Nicholas Hope, um, whose name in it, his last name is Red, um, Red, Thomas Redmond. Um, has been charged and was imprisoned and sent to a psychiatric ward and all this stuff for a long time as being the serial killer. And the six of them are the ones who were responsible for putting him behind bars. Like some of them are witnesses. Some of them were like in part of the court process. Some of them were, um, people who were affiliated legally. One was the cop. And so all of these people are in some way affiliated with him being incarcerated and charged as being this brutal killer Hmm. and he has put them in the room with all of these files until they can figure out who the real killer was Hmm. um because he is like it was not me you figure it out, but he runs it like an office. So Hmm. he runs it very much like I'm a good boss and treats them very much like office employees, um, who are there tasked to do a job. And so it's like things like, um, one of them is like, I don't, I no longer have glasses. Um, I can't see to do this any longer. And you know, he handles it like a medical care thing. And it's, it's very amusing in its presentation, but it does have this saw like quality where you know these six people are here, you don't know how they're connected. Um, You realize that somebody in the room may also have been the actual killer. Hmm. Um, And so there's a lot of kind of saw-like qualities to it, but it's just really smart in the way that it's handled. Very contained, like you're basically in the office the entire time, Um, but the story itself is really captivating.
0: I, it's like the image kind of rings a bell but i'm gonna have to watch a trailer to remember this one because it's like the title didn't you, you saying you screened at jump Cut, am like maybe i was working on the back or something
1: you probably were you made yeah. me a hot chicken sandwich and I that was, was yeah all right. um no this i i did screen this one at jump cut um as part of a fango promotion
0: very cool all right yeah. um throwback um, okay, my last one. Uh, well, if you haven't, I'm, I'll throw out Black Coat's Daughter. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it because it's one of my favorites of that decade. But probably being on Netflix has been easier to see. But my favorite, another favorite of mine that I still think um, it's on shutter, but I don't think horror people talk about it enough. And it's just so atmospheric is one that you know I love. It's called Demon, another Demon uh, reference by Marcin Rona. This was from mm-hmm. 2015. And it's, you know, it's somewhere between an art house Polish film about a wedding. Uh, which almost has a Bunuel quality to it in a way. Um, It's very lavish and showy in some ways. Uh, And a really dark, messed up demon Dybbuk story. Uh, And, you know, it has a very, very sad, it can't help but kind of haunt the movie, um yeah, true story behind it that the film when it was playing at the Polish Film Festival. So it's it's the guy, you know, is making his one of his first movies and he committed suicide while it was the director while it was playing, which was tragic because it was getting so well reviewed. I mean it was like it around the world it was getting these great reviews and he ended his life but after making a film that's you know, you sometimes you watch a movie, you go, can't help but wonder, because in the movie there's this darkness pervading through it, a curse-like feeling um you know not that i tend to buy into as simple an explanation as that but it's it is it is haunted the film has that feeling about it and um it is the story of a um uh you know a polish expatriate. so he doesn't live in poland he lives in london and he's his friend has introduced him to an actual girl from poland uh he goes he wants to marry her he goes back to her small village uh in poland where he's a bit of an outsider because of that because of that and they're going to get once they've been married, they're going to get this little kind of shack, you know, uh, on, on the edge of the property of the parents. And he starts moving things around the night before their wedding, and he accidentally unsettles a uh, grave. And the next morning, the bones are all gone and he, things start getting a little weird for him once he gets to the wedding. And as the night goes, the wedding becomes kind of grows to a bit of a fervor with everyone dancing and singing, and kind of the joy mixed with him starting to see some really dark uh, things. And the dipic as a as a demon, as a demon that like uh, Jewish demon that attaches itself to you, it doesn't just kind of run around spectrally. It actually is. I think the original imagery of Dybbuk's was that they would kind of grab hold of your back and stay on your back or something like that. And it's kind of doing that in a way in this thing. And it's really disturbing and funny and quite surreal at times. Some of the way it it pops up and starts changing the fabric to the point where he starts losing his mind um, and everyone thinks he's, you know, has lost his mind by the end of the story. It's it, it ends on a very I think one of the things that maybe takes it down a notch for horror fans is the last like five minutes ends with a very almost a political Reference to the past and Poland's treatment of the Jews, Uh, you know, after the war, there's there's something it's pretty subtly done, but it kind of brings a real heaviness to proceedings. But even right before that, it's always entertaining. It's always lavish and exciting. And I think it's one of those movies where this guy would have been like a Mike Flanagan director had he made kept making movies because he was obviously Mm -hmm. incredibly talented. It does not feel like, you know, an early film by a young filmmaker. It's it's a very a big canvas but i love it and i haven't seen it very many times but it's it's always kind of stayed with me um so i just want to make sure it gets on people's radars and it is definitely on shutter i know that much
1: i need to rewatch this i saw it at scream fest that Mm. very first year it played at scream fest and i haven't seen it since then yeah it's
0: super atmospheric so i think you'd i think you'd definitely dig the way it builds and the way it's structured you know
1: Fantastic.
0: So that is a hundred years. A hundred
1: years of our deep, deep cuts. If you are still hungry for more deep cuts, Elric and I have been counting down 31 days worth on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. So you can always check them out there. Too. We sure have. Um, and then you can always head to our Patreon show for the really weird stuff. Um, you can find deep cuts on Patreon.
0: Yeah. We did some um, really fun ones. A lot of people were responding to the recent episode where you talked about a dark movie called Gotham and yep. I threw in um, Anima Persa, which is a crazy one, and Children of the Night. And you had another one that was really interesting. Brotherhood of
1: Satan. Brotherhood,
0: yeah, which is one of the best finds yep. of the year for sure. Uh, so yeah, we really, i some of the most interesting movies we watched this year have appeared on that show. So yeah, a good wreck so. Uh But Excellent. yes, what a Halloween, what a party.
1: So I can say we got Vinegar Syndrome coming on the show in a couple of weeks. How did I not and- know
0: that? I didn't even know that.
1: What? It came about, they, they asked me this week, and I was like, cool, yeah, let's do it. So Vinegar Syndrome's going to join us. They are always a trip anytime we've had them on any of our shows, um, just because they are just wealths of like, holy shit, how have I not seen this knowledge? Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited to hear what else they got in the works, cool. and uh, maybe they'll let us know what's going on with the Black Friday sale as well, yeah. a killer one. Um, So I'm excited to pick up some
0: of the titles. You'll have to see the nicely restored text. I'm very excited for you.
1: I cannot wait. Like I have been holding out and this is the dumbest thing ever. I have so many 4K discs because like Daughters of Darkness came out on 4K. Yeah. I had to have it. I don't have a 4K TV. Yeah. Um and so I have been hesitating and I kept saying maybe this Christmas will be the one. Yeah. Like I'll ask, you know, because my parents are always like what can we give you as a family? What can we give the family? And I'm always like I don't know, like, you know, tickets to Blue Man Group or whatever. I come up with something different every year. This year, I might say a 4k tv would be pretty cool if you could swing that um so maybe we'll do that it's probably worth it and yeah i haven't watched too many things in I 4k but ticks. you do have a 4k TV. i think
0: i just did this year i think it was like at the start of the year because the other one broke or something mm-hmm. and i remember asking i get i don't know anything about tech so i always ask brian i don't either brian from pure cinema is good at telling me like which foreign region blu-ray player and which tv do i get um but i did do it and when i did watch I can't remember what the disc was. I definitely was kind of blown away by how good it looked. So
1: yeah, like the TV, I, I keep meaning I need to replace it because we have there's burnt out the big one in my living room. There's burnt out pixels. The sound sucks. And I keep saying if I don't replace the TV, I'm going to have to get a sound bar just because the sound is yeah, so yeah, terrible. And because of that, I end up watching everything in the bedroom. So like it doesn't even you know, I'm like, oh, well, it no longer affects me because yeah. I don't have to stare at the dead pixels. I just watch it in my bedroom. Um, but yeah, so I do think they come
0: down in price. I think though. I need like, to. Yeah. yeah. I think the I think that it was as cheap as like maybe 700 for a really huge one. And so probably less than good. that.
1: Good. I, I don't have space for a really huge one. Yeah. So I'll see what I can find on the black Christmas sale. I'm just glad black people sales. have, I think they should be called black Christmas sales actually. But P- yeah.
0: People you're probably getting used to the fact that we don't know how to end strongly. <laughs> we're, we're like a hundred years of horror. And now let's tell you about our TV thing.
1: So now we'll talk about TVs for another so, 10 minutes. So, but uh, on that note, um, I want to go watch another episode of Squid Game. So go watch.
0: Yes, I'm going to do something too. Thank you. Have an awesome Halloween if you're listening to this the day before or something like that. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll we'll take it a little more gently in November. I don't think I can keep this pace up. I'm almost burned out as I am. No!
1: Watch so much. No, yeah, buddy. I watched a lot last week. But I do have a stack of comics I got to get through. So right. um, diving in. S- thank you so much. Talk to you all soon. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado.